<laughs> Hello, welcome to episode 63 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. You do not want to know what Renfrey was just laughing at, trust me. You would not like that. Anyway, hello, I'm Stephen Hill. That giggling, disgusting buffoon sat opposite me is Renfrey Deadman. Hello. Tell the people what the vile thing you were just laughing at, Renfrey. I don't think it was vile. It was, it was vile. Um, it, it involved oral sex. It's oh, fine. Oh, oh, <laughs> horrible. Someone's um, not a considerate lover. No, definitely not. Why would I be? Not a lover at all. Um, uh, I hope you're watching on YouTube. Because that is definitely wonky, that camera, for sure. It's well, the spirit level says it's straight. Mm, well, I'm not sure about that. Remember? I mean... I'm going with the spirit. I, it, I, I admittedly, it does look wonky. It's really wonky. It looks like we're in like a Batman baddies lair. Well, that'll be entertaining for the viewers, I'm sure, I'm sure if, if they get to see this footage. Once again, apologies. Royal Mail pricks. Um, yeah. Long story. It's not even interesting. But we are still doing YouTube believe it or not yeah uh this week we're going to be reviewing an album from nick cave lightning bolt baby metal and the new ep from can't swim plus trade-off is a solo auteur duel auteur that's what you say auteur duel between tragic blues troubadour roy buchanan and grebo classical superstar clint mansell uh <laughs> go over to the good people at musicism musicism.net uh will help you in as you uh, to your way through the 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 many worlds of and sounds and things of music, sure, guitaring, um, <laughs> and vocaling and, and producing, producing. They're the main ones. It's nine ninety nine for all the courses that they do on their very excellent website, and you can get twenty five percent off of that price when you put Riot in the checkout um, in capital letters. So why don't you go and do that? Um, not even going to bother mentioning Patreon because it's been so bloody long, Renfrey. So bloody, bloody long. What are you doing? Your levels are a bit out. Are they? Mm. I don't know whether to affect them, don't know whether to change them now and make a note of it or, uh, fuck it, I'm going to change them now because it will be better for the long run, I think. You're going to be very quiet for the first bit. That's all right. I think people will probably enjoy me being a little bit more quiet. Um, but they'll particularly enjoy you getting louder, yeah. as you're saying, being a little yeah. bit more quiet. Yeah. I did some like, live I'm mixing like, there. Like a, a human pixie song. <laughs> uh, but I never go quieter. Um, so uh, we should say before we crack on any further, a couple of things. Um, just want to say um, rest in peace to Ginger Baker, who died aged 80 uh, this week. He died on the 6th of October um, critically ill, uh, as reported by his family. Um, uh, we, we do this a fair bit, don't we? And it feels like we've been doing it a lot this year. Um, mm. But Ginger Baker, absolutely, you know, one half of one of the all-time great rhythm sections with Jack Bruce in Cream. Um, a genuinely wild human being. If you've ever seen mm. Beware of Mr. Baker, which I highly suggest you all go and watch because... Mm. It's one of the most jaw-dropping music documentaries. I feel like I said this about Daniel Johnston quite recently, and it seems to be a thing that we're we're chatting about the kind of how great the documentary is. Well, whilst not being a massive fan, I mean, I I'm a, I like Cream, you know, and I, I, I Ginger Baker's done more than just being in Cream, but mm. I think that's what he's kind of most known for. I think. Um uh, any drummer should at least be influenced by Ginger Baker, whether aware. they're aware yeah. they're influenced by him or not. I mm-hmm. mean, incredible talent. Um, Incorporating kind of Afro beats into yeah. 
like I guess what we'd say modern rock music. Yeah. Um, patented in the double bass pedal, you know, with Motorhead. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. kind of that work he did on a double bass pedal. I mean, I yeah. think he he classed himself as a jazz drummer, but is so influential to rock musicians. Um, I, I, I think I think I think he was absolutely right. He absolutely was a jazz drummer, yeah. but then the majority of the best drummers come from jazz anyway. Mm. I would say. Mm. Um, interesting. Um, uh, my my favorite man of the world, Mike Bernard, uh, tweeted earlier today about Ginger Baker saying <laughs> it's funny how like the biggest cunts in bands are usually the most talented. Mm. In reference, you know, Ginger Baker, obviously. Al Moomin. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, Moomin. I'm yeah. glad we mentioned him again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, and, you know, yes, of course, troubled individual, blah de blah blah mm. but also undeniably phenomenal talent. Absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I would say um, one of one of my that I really like and it's rare that you get a band who kind of reform and do something great but if, have you ever listened to the two, three, four, five live at the Royal Albert Hall in 2005 because they did a kind of five night stand didn't they Cream when they returned in 2005 no I've, I've not actually there's a live album of them playing the five you know it's a mixture of the four I think five four, five or six nights I can't remember off the top of my okay. how many nights they played at the Royal Albert Hall but they did a reformation at the Royal Albert Hall and they sound amazing I mean that rhythm section is incredible and particularly um, the song Stormy Monday from that album Ginger Baker's playing on that the way he goes from these kind of really delicate, almost almost trip-hoppy drum loop patterns into this powerhouse. Smash, smash, smash. Like, man. And with Jack Bruce's, you know, really unbelievable bass lines behind them. Like, that is, man, that is so good. So if, you, if you're not familiar at all with Ginger Baker, um, that's him aged 66 doing that. Unbelievable! I'd love to see that. Yeah, we'll try and put that on the Riot Act Twitter. Yeah, because I'd like to put more stuff on the Riot. I mean, Act a definitely a genius in terms of drumming, a one-off, absolutely, and um, another absolutely massive character from the world of um, music that we've lost. So rest in peace to Ginger Baker. Um, changing tact a little bit, Renfrey. Oh, um, I went to go and see the Joker movie mm. on Friday. And I liked it. It was pretty good, I thought. It's not as good as people are making out, but it's good. A very brief aside, I got a um, what felt like a personal Mark Kermode For podcast. You did, yeah. <laughs> the other yeah. day. We were on the phone for over two hours the other day. I know, day. yeah, and a lot of it was a joker. Just talking shit, basically, mm. more or less. Um, but yeah, uh, I, it's I, coming I, for patrons soon. If only I'd recorded that call. <laughs> um, but I should. Um, Yes, I felt like I got like a 45-minute in-depth review yeah. of Joker. Didn't ask for it. No, just um, said it. <laughs> but you know, there I was. But um, anyway, I went to see the Joker, and I thought it was pretty good. I think Whacking Phoenix is amazing. It looks amazing. Mm. It sounds amazing. I'm very, gonna... very keen to see it. Yeah. And I'm amazed that a film, <laughs> the f film directed by the guy who made The Fucking Hangover, I know. Is, is, is perceived as that high quality. I mean, obviously, actually... The reaction has been very mixed. Yeah, actually, and I, I, I think I kind of like, people either seem to be repulsed by it, which I can sort of understand, or absolutely in love with it, which I can sort of understand as well. I think there are bits of it that are brilliant. I think the the furore over it is pretty silly. Personally, it's a film about uh, you know a bad man, and he's the lead character. You're allowed to have a bad person be the lead character in the film. Well, chill out. Um, but halfway through. Rock and roll 
number two, Rock and Roll Part Two, by Gary Glitter comes on. Mm. Um, and that is, I mean, I guess we have these kind of, we feel like we're having these sort of morality chats more and more, Renfrew, but <coughs> I was, mm. it really, for one, it completely took me out of the movie. Because I suddenly went, hold on. I went with Merlin from, from Metal Hammer, the editor of Metal Hammer. Oh, yeah. And I turned around and I was like, that's Gary. Are they playing Gary Glitter on this film? And they were. And you just it's weird because you just, you don't hear Gary Glitter anymore for obvious reasons. And there he was up on the big screen with uh, Joaquin Phoenix in joke, full Joker garb dancing along to one of his songs. And that's the point where I went, well, you're really trying to upset people. You know, you're um, you're really going after woke culture. Like it felt like the, dire the director was pointedly making a point of being like, "Fuck it, I don't care what you think." I have but a, I have a counter to that. Go on. I think that opinion is. Um, uh, I think Gary Glitter is very much seen as convicted paedophile in the UK. Yeah. I think in America, they. Um, I don't think it was anywhere near as big as uh, Furore as it was over here. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. This is what I have gathered from... Uh, I mean, I didn't really know there was much of a... Has there been a Furore? I mean, people, I don't even know if people are aware that it was... Has, there been, has it been picked up well, on? Well, when it happened... Oh, oh do, you mean, do you mean this particular Joker thing? Yeah. Um, the I'm sun. just saying it because I heard it. I don't know. I've not looked... To see if there's, a, I've not no, I've not seen any tweets or I haven't seen any news stories. I've not seen it mentioned in the media, so the, I don't know. Has it been? The, I, presumably, you're saying it has been mentioned in the media. Yeah, uh, the Sun picked up on it and um, basically said, uh, I would like to quote them precisely. Uh, Gary Glitter, according to the Sun, the two-minute use of Gary Glitter's 1972 track "Rock and Roll Part Two in a key scene in Joker, which falls under a synchronization license, could make the convicted paedophile. This is the quote, hundreds of thousands of pounds. Right. Um, the reason I wanted to talk about this is um, to um, emphasise what a piece of shit rag the sun is. Um, um, uh, okay. In theory, in theory, Gary Glitter could make hundreds of thousands of pounds from the appearance of that song in the, um, in the film. Seems unlikely, though. It, it? I mean... To put into perspective, it's so insanely unlikely. Um, there is an excellent article on The Guardian about this, uh, which is headlined, Could Gary Glitter Really Make Hundreds of Thousands from the Joker Film? Um, which basically outlines why it is immensely unlikely that mm -hmm. he would. Um, the local company that placed it in the film will retain maybe 20 to 30% of that fee. Um of the remainder, the local record company in the UK might take 60%. Right. So Glitter could get maybe 30% of the fee on the recorded side and probably less on the publishing because it was a co-write with Mike Leander and because the publicist, uh, because the publisher is also going to take a cut. Mm. So classic sort of example of taking something and reporting it as a big kind of um, clickbait type article and not actually reporting on yeah actual like facts gary glitter could be could be given a knighthood he could, well, he could be exactly he could you, be given a knighthood couldn't he look i i worked in the national press for seven years and you can get away with saying anything if you just put the words could in mm. the sentence at mm. the end of the day that admittedly was not strictly yeah. my point i, just, reason I know, to bring I, know. Up. I just wanted to mention it it was it? just it was i found it very very jarring and quite unusual i suppose you know a, a few years ago what was it now probably about five years ago i 
for a work thing had to listen to uh, The Fake Sound of Progress by Lost Profits. Uh-huh. And that made me feel very uncomfortable because you just don't hear that anymore. I know we've said it before about separating the art and the artist and uh-huh. and some people you do listen to that have done bad things and some people you don't. And it seems to be this weird, um, very uneven dichotomy between oh yeah we've decided they're bad and they can't be played and we've decided you know like even though everyone has their own personal moral yeah. compass when it comes to it and uh, the people that i think we rally against are the ones who try to put their own personal moral compass onto others yeah and judge them against their own morals but certainly hearing gary glitter it was on the biggest film of the year i did go oh fucking hell i'm not often sort of sh- like shocked by something but that made, did make me go oh my goodness i think um i I, I think it is worth bearing in mind this whole you know it's predominantly an american film i'm guessing must yeah. be surely yeah, yeah um i think when you say gary glitter in the uk one of the first things that will come to mind is is pedophile um one of <laughs> well or, or yeah maybe even number one definitely um i'm not i really i'm I, I don't think that's the case in the US. Somebody in that film must have known that, though. Yes, actually, I don't want to like read this whole um, uh, article, but the last um, paragraph is quite prescient. Uh, one cannot presume this is news to the Joker team. Someone along the licensing chain should have sent up a red flag. How they morally square all this with Glitter getting um, any money is down to them. But ultimately, expecting Hollywood or the music industry to prize ethics over earnings reveals a shaky understanding of the history of both. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It is true. Couldn't say it better myself. That's Eamon Ford, who's a lovely man. I've met him a couple of times, been on a panel with him mm. in uh, Belfast. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I can't really put it much better myself. I, no. th- is that is that right? Is that wrong? I'm not, you know, making any strong judgments one way or another, but but that is the reality. Yeah. Um, Hollywood it's, ain't going to give a fuck. No, they it certainly not. was a surprising thing to hear, though, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was. It did make me go, oh, so maybe I, you know, it, it's just one of those things where you're like, oh, it is still possible to... Because if Michael Jackson comes on, you know, obviously the Michael, Michael Jackson is a, <coughs> is a different case. It's more recent. It's more recent, but it is also a different case as in Michael Jackson is not currently in jail. Mm. Um, He's not alive. Not, yeah, and there's not sort of um, you're allowed to make your own mind up about it, but in the sort of the eyes of the world, not the eyes of the collective eyes of the world, there is an ambivalent. There's no doubt. There is no reasonable doubt. In there's no one's going. Oh, Gary Glitter might not be a paedophile. Do you know what I mean? No, he's con- nobody he's said convi- he's convicted. convicted. That is a factual. There were thing. images on his computer. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. and the same with Ian Watkins. Whereas yeah. Michael Jackson, you get people going, well, he was never convicted and well, there was this and that. And you could mm. argue like, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole fucking, I'm not going to recreate Finding Neverland for you right now. Oh, um, but I'm up to the task. Pfft, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> that, that was just a, a, like really difficult thing to watch all of that. Um, and, you know, you're obviously, you're allowed your own personal opinion to believe whether that is right or, you know, who, because it's, you know, you can't ever truly know can you can't ever uh, truly know regarding jackson regarding jackson it doesn't look like well it will know. yeah nothing i think it will <clears throat> the idea that that will factually come out <clears throat> as unprovable i think is probably not going to happen so there's always going to be people who are umming and ahhing over it 
Yes. Uh, whereas you don't get that with Gary Glitter. Nope. Um, I'm sure there's some Glitter fans out there who are like... Nah, do you think? Oh, I bet you. I, I could do a quick look on Facebook. I bet there'd be like a Gary Glitter appreciation Facebook group with like a couple of thousand members who are just yeah. full of middle-aged women who are like... Of course do you know the comedian Gary. Jerry Sadowitz? Yes. I fucking love Jerry Sadowitz. Jerry Sadowitz, when, when it all happened, I remember going, it's a sad state of affairs that this world's coming to, that the greatest rock star of all time can't fuck who he wants when he wants. <laughs> I just thought, what an excellent piece of satire <laughs> on uh, how people are <laughs> massive fans of things. Yeah, um, yeah. I tweeted about <laughs> stands the other day. The video for Stan by Eminem came on the telly and I was like, Oh yeah, people say, "Oh, well, we stand whatever." Like that's the thing I was standing, and it's like you know, Stan is a mental person who drives his wife and his self and his unborn baby into a off, into a bridge off a bridge and kills himself. Like even I know that. I don't really want to be associated going. Oh, that's what I'm like. Mm. 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 It's weird that anyway. People are strange. World is weird. As, uh, Jim Morrison said. Yeah, he did. Um, he can talk. Well, quite, yeah. Fucking, <laughs> probably not the, the best. The latent exactly. hypocrisy of the left again. <laughs> not, uh, the, not the best person to bring no. up, probably, but, <laughs> but fuck it. Mm. Anyway, um, this is sort of sort of live reviews. On the same night, Renfrey, we went to two presumably excellent things. I went to see a press screening of Metallica's SNM 2. I'm seeing this tomorrow, and, and I tomorrow. am fucking excited. And you I'm going to get drunk in the cinema, I've decided. Yeah. Now I decided I'm going to do it. It's quite. It's like it's like two and a half hours long. It's a long old thing. Oh, might bring a bucket to we end. Bring a bring a comfy chair. Bring a pillow. Oh, I might bring a pillow actually. Because them cinema seats, mate, they're not the best. Anyway, I'm at the Clapham Picture House, mate. I'll be fine. <coughs> well, I was at the Soho screening rooms, which <gasps> is even better. Posh. Uh, anyway, you went to see Death Heaven and Touche More. Mm. Yes, please. So. You go first. Uh, okay. Um, I would like. Can to... I just say for the record before you go into this, people might go. Sorry, mate. People <laughs> might be thinking that's weird. Um, Stephen Hill, you love both of those bands, don't you? And you are right to say that. I do. I actually really wanted to go to this gig, particularly as I've never seen Death Heaven before. Whoa! Yeah, I know. I know. I've never seen. Are them you? Kidding me. I always seem to miss them when they tour. They always seem to be playing on the same day as somebody else or doing something as somebody else. And I thought, this is the time. Then with Touche, oh, lordy, lordy, this would be amazing. But I've seen them like seven times. Right, you're not better than me, Renfrey. It's not like... I think it means I'm better than I you. I don't think it does. Uh, well, we'll put that to the vote. On okay. the old, uh, right How many times do you see Pantera? Okay, let's move on. Right. Um, I But, uh, and I love both those bands, but... Um, I didn't feel like I could watch Touche more. Yes. After stage, like st- people, we've spoken about stage four by Touche more a bunch of times. I was like, I can't, I'm not really ready to go and watch this band yet. Mm-hmm. If you've been a long time listener, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, well, go and listen back to all the, <laughs> every other podcast and mm. piece through the details. But in, I didn't really in. feel like I could watch, watch that show. In a way, we're both in um, similar situations with that. I think, think i've said on this show before stage four came out around the time that my mum got ill or maybe about a year after she got ill um and consequently it's an album that you uh, clearly are a gigantic fan of and uh, you are very 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 keen on it i know that very much um i've not listened to it for a long time yeah 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 Mm. i haven't listened to it an awful lot at all 
um, mm. because uh, it was just all tied up in that for a long time. Um, so uh yeah it was an interesting one um before i get to touche i want to talk about portrayal of guilt who are yeah, another yeah, band yeah. who you would have fucking adored um just really like extreme noise terrorists um i suppose kind of full of hell vibes um they've been a band i've only been a band for i think two years wow and watching them at the ballroom i was stunned like i was like fuck me if you're this good and this potent and this visceral and this fucking nasty now i can only imagine what you'll be like in another two given another two years another three years down the line they worked really hard they put out a lot of stuff um their album did we cover it portrait I, I have a feeling we we missed it uh, annoyingly yeah, miss it. and it and it's a it's an absolutely cracking record to say the least i mean cracking doesn't really do it justice um but yeah live as I say, big full of hell vibes, um, which is probably one of the most positive things you could say about an extreme band these yeah. days. Um, and the ballroom was pretty damn full for them as well. So I was very happy to see that. Touche. Um, Touche came on. Uh, well, Touche's backdrop. Um, I completely missed the fact that Touche were playing um, their first album in full uh. on this tour. Um it was announced, but they didn't make a massive deal of it. They, I think they just put a couple of Facebook posts up. It's um, the 10th anniversary of their first ever album. Right. Uh, oh, shit. The name's gone out of my head. It's something about a horse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I noticed they put the backdrop up for the album because this this has completely gone over my head. I didn't know about this. And I was like, oh, it's a bit weird. They put a backdrop up for their debut album. And uh, then when they started going into it sequentially, I was like, Mm. Um, that album is like 18 minutes long. Yeah. um, And quite amusingly, like, I don't know, about seven minutes into the set, Jeremy's like, right, well, we're halfway through the album, just five more minutes to go. Um, And it was awesome. Like people really went off. Yeah. So the first album went across very, very well, but then, but there was a clear divide that some people didn't know it very well i think as soon as they they then went straight into amends from parting the sea um and the whole the whole place really erupted there's just something so brilliantly sincere about touche more that yeah. i love um jeremy is just a wonderful wonderful front man you've spoken to him a couple of times haven't you mm-hmm. never had the pleasure annoyingly um but Good um dude. i would love to speak to him yeah uh i've got a lot of time for jeremy bomb and um yeah they just did an absolutely killer set 23 songs um material from stage four lots such as flowers and you and uh skyscraper was absolutely monumental as you can imagine yeah. um towering um and uh was the last song or second to last song it was an absolutely they were just wonderful just a wonderful 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 set <coughs> and uh it left me thinking like i don't watch touche more any anywhere near as much as i should do <laughs> to the extent where i was thinking about it i don't think i think the last time i saw touche more was supporting converge which was fucking years ago a long time ago yeah I saw that show that was with a storm of light as well wasn't it yes yeah. yes i think they were on parting the sea they might have just yeah, released were. "Is Survived By," but yeah, like it was—it's been a couple of album cycles since I've seen. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was part of, it "Survived By" came out a year towards the end of a year later. Yeah, it was. It was just yeah, and and I was just left with the feeling of why don't I see this band more often? This is ridiculous. Yeah. So um, yeah, they were fantastic. Um, 
I was a little, I was a teeny bit worried about for Death Heaven mm-hmm. after that because I thought they were so good that I was like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. Death Heaven and Touche Amore on paper. It's a weird fit. I think so as well. Um, cool though. Uh, very cool. And, and you know, spoiler alert, I mean, it made the bill absolutely brilliant because variety is the spice of life. Um, little 12-year-old Joe Nan pointed out that um, there's a kind of uh, hipster edge to both bands, which is why he thought it might have worked. Yeah. Was never re- I'm aware of the whole hipster thing with Dev Heaven. Um, I was never really aware of it with Touche, but I'll take it. Yeah, they had a bit of a... You know, yeah. there was a little period where that sort of thing became a bit, you know, that kind of hipstery hardcore became a thing for a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess there's that, but very <laughs> happy to see that, like, I was wondering if people would leave for Death Heaven because obviously they're very, very different bands. And if anyone did, it didn't really affect the crowd numbers. Um, Death Heaven were just brilliant. But in terms of like total opposites, I mean, Touche played 23 songs. Death Heaven played six. Fucking hell. <laughs> um, because obviously two, uh, Death Heaven songs are, you know, Long. M- most of them are around the 10 minute mark. Mm. Um, but, you know, so they started with Honeycomb and... The songs on the new record, Ordinary Corrupt Human Love, have that really anthemic guitar yeah. solo kind of thing to them, don't they? And it was just really amazing to see people singing the guitar lines back to them. And there was points where it felt like a maiden gig as opposed to a fucking black gaze show, you know. Um, George, uh, the vocalist, has this really incredible, incredible presence now one moment he's like twirling around like a whirlwind his hair just going everywhere and the next he's like conducting the band like an orchestra like really very sharp movement death heaven were utterly sublime uh just one of those i just hadn't listened to them for a little while and and just one of those wonderful nights where you go oh god i've forgotten how much i love this band um worthless animal they played which is the last song on the new record i hadn't heard them play that before and you know again it, it was like it was like it sounded like the cure if they'd been brought up on dark throne yeah, rather yeah. rather than uh i don't know pink floyd you know um and <laughs> like <laughs> i get very very impatient with these sort of true cult black metal fans who um who don't have any time for death heaven and sort of suggest that they're watering down the true elements of black metal because at the end of the day for my money death heaven are a far more interesting band than plucking one out of the air do you mean gear do you uh, mm, yeah mm. well yeah they are they're a lot better yeah gear are crap mate well i they fucking frozen I, I think a better example is mayhem because it's usually the 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 ones that those people will will defend are usually that kind of more old school sort yeah. of you know true cult bullshit. I just, you know I take Death Heaven any day. I think they're far more interesting, far more like experimental, far just a you know. And if you if you have the if you think Mayhem are better than Death Heaven, then woe be to you. I think um, they, they play Canary Yellow. Yep. Man, Second, I fucking love that shit. yeah stunning song um they played I, I i completely missed that death heaven released a standalone single earlier this year yeah it's great as well it is fucking brilliant and really actually good. i want to mention that because definitive proof that if anyone thinks that death heaven are incapable of standing toast toe with those old school it's heavy as fuck as well. it is like just, just listen uh it's mm. called black brick yeah 
And they played that. And at first I was like, I we don't really do many just like, because I listened, because that came out, I listened to it and I didn't think to kind of talk about it because yeah. usually, you know, I think talking about a song from an album that's just about to come out is a fucking waste of time. I agree. But, I think but if it's a standalone single, yeah, maybe we yeah, should. Yeah. yeah. In, in fact, re-listening to the song, I was like, yeah, we probably should have talked about this because yeah, it's fucking great. Um, finished with uh, Dreamhouse, which is my favorite Deafone, Dev Heaven song ever. Um, there's the last, there's these last sort of four notes. It's a very simple guitar pattern, but it's just the most perfect combination of the notes at the most perfect time building you know it's been building for like nine minutes and i i was just streaming with tears i just thought it's absolutely beautiful um a baby yeah i am a baby big baby um one of those bills where every band is completely different from the other but all three of them (coughs) are great were a nine out of ten wow cool that's good. I'm re- pretty. I'm a bit. I'm like part of me is. It's a bit like Linguita Ignota. Part of me is gutted that I didn't go to that, but the other part of me is like, well, do you know what? To be fair, uh, I think I would have struggled to keep myself in check. I, while you were doing that, I saw S and M two, the movie. Um, obviously, Ooh. there was chat in a in a, in a sleazy Soho, uh, Soho yes. cinema. Yeah. I, bet. Um, I there was chat. Between and I hope Merlin doesn't mind me saying this because he went along Merlin from Metal Hammer. Oh hello! Second we mention. chatted. I was close to going to San Francisco to go out to the show. Mm. There was chat that we were going to go and do that together. And I have a few friends end, who went. Yeah, um, former friends. I, I would have loved to have seen it in mm-hmm. the flesh. In fact, sitting there and listening to it and watching it, I was like, man, mm. I would love to have seen this in the flesh. Unbelievable. Yeah. I think so. S and M, the nineteen ninety nine S and M is amazing i think one of the best live albums ever released. yes it's absolutely anyone who disagrees with incredible that. i love it i absolutely love it and while i think due to my preferences on the set list and because metallica were a much more lively live Outfit band at, at that time, time mm-hmm. i yeah. still do think snm one is something that i will always enjoy more mm-hmm. S&M 2 is a far more interesting version of the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra and Metallica. For a few reasons, I would say the main one being that um, it feels much more like a collaborative process. The San Francisco Symphony Orchestra in the first S&M sat behind Metallica and they were just there doing their orchestral bits. And occasionally you'd see them but they never really took center stage. Now, I think they what the, what Michael Kamen added to those Metallica songs was great and gave them whole new flourishes and moods and depth and all these kind of things. But what they've done this time around is um, is way more collaborative. Is is not just somebody taking Metallica's music and going, what can I add to this? It feels like this is Metallica sitting down with an orchestra and both of them working out what they can do, how they can meet in the middle. And, you know, there are a few uh, things that have sort of made me think that. For example, James Hetfield getting up without his guitar and singing The Unforgiven Three just with an orchestra. It's one of those things. I heard about this. Wow. Um, I, I, I can't wait to see that. Yep. Um, also, there's a bit where um, um, the uh, where Metallica, they do um, a piece 
called Iron Foundry by Alexander Mosolov. And the the guy who's got a triple barreled name, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, um, who's the kind of the, the principal, um, the kind of leader of the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, gets up and explains, you know, how it was written, what it was written about. And Metallica oh, cool. kind of pl- come in and play. And there's lots of like nods to actual classical music. Um, I, I've got to say as well, you know, the, the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, in terms of being rock stars, in terms of being performers, in this one, they give as good as Metallica oh, great. get, right? Do you know cool. what I mean? So, for example, the, um, the, the conductor, Edwin Outwater, looks like Christian Bale. Hmm. He's wearing a studded black tux. Fantastic. And his conducting style is, in t- is intense like Bruce. You know, Bruce Dickinson runs around and points and like hmm. he has, he is as engaging as Hetfield or Ulrich. Oh, great. He's cool. fucking like proper just as he kind of builds the orchestra and he's great. And also it's played in the round. So Metallica are in the middle and the orchestra face them and as I said before, you know, they were behind Metallica and Metallica at the front, the orchestra were kind of behind them. So it feels much more like Kirk will go into the audience. There's a bit actually, one bit that I thought was great. The um so the start of one, they usually have the fireworks going off and the mm-hmm. ba 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 they have the orchestra make the kind of gunshot noises. Oh right. And Lars comes out and there's a guy with what's the big, the huge like boom boom boom, those big drum, the kind of barrel kettle drums. Yeah. <laughs> and Lars comes out and the guy who's the drummer on that they basically kind of riff these kind of gunshot drums between the two of them oh, cool. with Lars hitting his stick onto the other guy's stick and they're doing these kind of rim shots onto each other and they basically riff out this kind of machine gun patter before one mm. starts mm. and it's really cool and you oh. have like you know the orchestra actually making the sound of the bombs and the gunshots and the you know the tanks and all this stuff it's really really cool um most importantly, though, like in terms of somebody getting up from that orchestra and being like, you know, can sort of classical musicians go toe to toe with a heavy metal band? Um, there's a guy who does a who plays who's like the principal bass player who plays like a bowed fretless bass. Right. Um, and his name's Scott Pingle and he plays Anastasia pulling teeth. Ah, so it's not Rob. Sorry, it's not Rob. No. Oh, right, he cool. does a tribute to Cliff Burton, a full bass solo, and it's unbelievable. Uh, my friends who went told me that it was one of the highlights of the entire show, if not the highlight. It was absolutely unbelievable. Like I don't really, ha- I've got no time for solos in general, particularly. No, but Anastasia's. A, but yeah, it, it, surely that's a yeah exception. And he elongates it and he does all this other stuff i mean it was wow cool it was amazing wow and to see like the rest of metallica just stood there watching this guy while he's like with a bow like you know proper lurching backwards and forwards of this like with with a distortion and wah-wah pedal right yeah it's very very burton (coughs) absolutely amazing um it was so great. And I think, you know, they, they started um, when, the, when the orchestra, when they play like the Ecstasy of Gold live, you just, the chills you get, like you, it, it gives it something extra. And, um, and again, you know, like they, they started with Call of Cthulhu uh, mm-hmm. as they did in 1999. They also brought back the Outlaw Torn, um, yes, which I think is, is, is probably the most underrated song by a big band ever. 
strong contender. Yeah. Like Metallica should be forced to play that. So they've yeah. only played it twice. Well, they've they've played it every time they do S. The both times they've done SNM is the only time yeah. they played it. No, they did play it at the O2 Arena. What when? I saw it at the O2 Arena. Um, I read that they Death Magnetic Tour. They it it is rarely played. Yeah. It is super rare. They also played it at the um, uh, 30th anniversary shows. It is oh, yeah, it's, it's super rare, but it's not. It's they've done it more than S and M, but right, it okay. is it's incredibly rare. And yes, um, the Outlaw Torn for me, totally different song, obviously, but is the equal of Master of Puppets in every single way. Yeah, me, I, I love it. Me. Fucking amazing. It's m- as good as Metallica have ever been. Yeah. That song, it's amazing, and with the, you know, all the orchestra and stuff, ah, oh, so great. Um, and then to, I mean, and if you just want Metallica to do the bangers, uh, wherever I may roam, one Master Puppets, nothing else matters. Enter Sandman, the last five songs. Really curious to hear how they never comes um, worked with an orchestra. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, okay. I think you know, like, I mean, th- th- there are some that didn't work like i think moth into flame has mm. become moth into the flame. a big song for metallica from it's become the one from really has isn't it from uh hardwired yeah. self-destruct you're gonna say well, not, you don't like it I, I i don't dislike it i just um i remember at the time loads of people being like this song is gonna you know be it's gonna be the song <coughs> and um <laughs> at the time just feeling like yeah it's all right and having seen it live a number of times since i am like okay they have made it one of the defining songs of this decade uh, of of this part of metallica's career i should say um but it, it took me a long while i mean i'm i still struggle with hardwired to be honest with you yeah so i think yeah. it's good i think hardwired in general is a pretty good record it's pretty good it's right. but um yeah i think moth in the flame is good moth in the flame weirdly the, the orchestra didn't i didn't really feel like the orchestra added that added much to much. it and i actually think what was interesting you listen to call of cthulhu on the 99 version you listen to the version that you hear in the cinema in, in this version mm-hmm. and the orchestra parts are actually quite different Cool, good, yeah. amazing. They've, so they've 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 not just gone. Oh, so we did that before, and we'll do it again. They've c- pretty much ripped up Michael Kamen's <gasps> original um, composition, and they've gone right. Well, we'll still take Metallica as a base, but we will go in a few other directions. There are definitely really... a lot of nods to that '99 version, sure, but it's sure. not a complete copy. And I think this is the thing when Metallica been going for so long, and it is so easy to get really like, oh god, bloody hell, Metallica, um, but. You know, because they do do silly, stupid things. You know, when we saw them at the, you know, the Twickenham show, we came back and we were like, it was great, but the Iron Maiden mm, thing mm, and the, why mm, are you playing mm, was it Revenge? And they like, don't have enough people telling why them you, no. Yeah, and why you know why are you ending your or starting your fucking encore with Lords of Samar? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. you know there are things they do that you go, oh, don't do that. Like yeah. through the Never as yeah. well. I was like, oh please, but. When they do something like this and they get it right, yeah. they're fucking brilliant. And it kind of makes all the cock-ups worth it. It does, yeah, it does. I think. Um, and we didn't mention James Hetfield last week, so I thought I'd say it for this week. But James Hetfield obviously went to rehab, had to cancel yeah. a bunch of tour dates and um, stick in there, James. Yeah, I was, was really, really genuinely surprised and very, very yeah. saddened to hear that. It felt like, obviously, you know, we're outsiders and we haven't got a clue about the reality of what's going on, but... I don't know. It just felt like he was such a sort of um, beacon for those who do struggle with addiction. To hear that he's struggling and going back into rehab is um, 
yeah it was it was it was shame a real shame, real real shame. So, um anyway yeah, there you go okay. if you get a chance to go and see it which i know you are tomorrow it really is it's the third metallica film and it's the first time I, metallica have finally got a cinema concert movie that is befitting of their legacy there you go uh, let's do some reviews, Renfrey, and we're going to start, my friend. Oh, this is where we start. We wanted to do it last week, but hilariously, um, which I think is just so brilliant. I got sent this record one hour before its official release uh, <laughs> by Nick Cave's press people, which is such an incredibly brilliant contrarian thing to do. Uh, Tool did it to me at all. Tool did that as well. Um, uh, Tool, uh, Tool did it like the afternoon before but yes yeah um Ridiculous. nick gave literally sent it at 11 p.m it popped into my mailbox like here's your pre preview copy your promo copy of uh. the new nick cave album you can listen to it and it still wouldn't have finished by the time if you put it on yeah, that second yeah, yeah, yeah. it's still you'd still be listening to the end of it when it was actually physically released yeah. into the rest of the world. Because it's 68 minutes long, this record. Is, yeah. So we're talking about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds' 17th studio album. It's called Ghost Teen. It is the follow-up to the critically acclaimed Skeleton Tree from 2016. Um, a double album, Renfrey, consisting mm -hmm. of part one, the children, and part two, the parents. Mm -hmm. Um should say it's not a double album in length. I've already just mentioned it was 68 minutes long, but definitely kind of conceptual. has a conceptual yeah. two-parter. But to it, yeah. in terms of a conception, um, that is about as much of the um, kind of explanation that we get, really, isn't it? Um, yes. I mean, looking into it, I would say um, the children part is the first eight songs, which are all kind of... Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, normal contemporary yeah. pop kind of lengths as in you know four or five four minutes. six minutes long kind of thing um the last three songs uh two of them are these massive long uh epics i suppose 12 and 14 minutes 12 and plus. 14 minutes long and they are bridged with a um spoken word piece yeah uh, uh set to music fireflies mm -hmm. um and there is, um, I think when I first heard the whole thing through, I couldn't really see the distinction. But the more I've listened to it, I think there is actually quite a big distinction between those two parts, um, which we'll get into. Um, very briefly, I will say, um, as the, 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 we're both Nick K fans, but as yeah. the, as the bigger, bigger, bigger one, Nick K fan here, um, I have, uh, I was really worried when I saw a 12 minute and a 14 minute track pop up on the track listing because historically Nick Cave has not, um, it's not been great when it comes to long songs. Um, there's O'Malley's Bar on uh, Murder Ballads, which well, we have discussed say, yeah. a little bit, um, but I, which I think is far too repetitive and, and ridiculously long and uh, self-indulgent. Uh, even more so, uh, Babe, I'm on Fire from Nocturama um, is basically a four-minute song stretched out to 16 minutes. Um, it has uh, something along the lines of 54 verses. Um, and, and you know, I, I'm not always convinced when um, Nick Cave goes long, let's say. Mm. So I was, I was a bit worried about getting to the second part of the record. Right. Needn't have worried at all. No. At all. 
Um, do you want to um, do you want to kick this off? I mean, you sort of have to be honest. So uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a lot to say. <laughs> um, where should we start? Well, I think we should start with my my initial thought was, especially in relation to this being the follow up to Skeleton Tree and some of the thematic things in Skeleton Tree. Um, it feels like this album is an album that's kind of, to me anyway, is still, there's some residual hurt left over. From the um, tr- very tragic death of uh, Nick Cave's son. Yeah. Arthur. Yeah. Mm. In 2015. Mm. Uh, yes, absolutely. This is the first album that has been written I- in whole since um, Arthur passed away. Yeah. Um, and because um, Skeleton Tree was already being worked on um, at the time. Um, it's also the third part in a loosely conceptual trilogy. I didn't realise this at all. I didn't um, so that, Which started with Push the Sky Away. Um, an album that was very critically acclaimed, which I have never got on with, I have mm. to say. Uh, but that's the one with Jubilee Street on it. Um, and then uh, Skeleton Tree is the second part and Ghostine is the third part. <laughs> Now that I've heard all three of them, I can, I do get where the loose trilogy is coming from. It's quite a difficult thing to explain, but I think it's more, I think Warren Ellis has a lot to do with it. Um, I would say that this is by far the most kind of, um, this is by far the most orchestral album that Nick Cave has released. Uh huh. Ding. <laughs> Um, you getting a point? <laughs> it's a beautiful mix of orchestral elements and and um, what I'm broadly going to profess as preface is electronica. Yeah, um, which is mainly provided by Warren Ellis, and there's an oscillation in these analog synths that provides this almost kind of spiritual haze to the album, um, which is incredibly appropriate considering the themes that are covered. Um, you know, those themes being stuff like grief, death, uh, the eagerness to believe that there is some form of afterlife, yeah. um, the desire for time to heal all wounds yeah. and the inevitable disappointment when those wounds aren't healed, I think mm. sometimes. Um, and a sort of, um, I don't know if you were about to say this, but I think a kind of a longing nostalgia for, um, things that aren't there anymore. <laughs> yeah. God, tell me about it. Yeah. A lot of that. Um, saying that this album is orchestral might be a slight uh, misnomer though because it sort of gives the impression that it's a really grand sweeping album and I think it becomes that as it goes on particularly in the parent part yeah Um, but actually the orchestral bits the the orchestration is incredibly subtle to begin with yeah and sparse over it yeah 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 used you i mean used so beautifully and i do think i i I think um i think it's always harder to do less with when it comes to music nine times out of of ten and i think that's the real you know i'm gonna mention spirit of eden of course yeah oh yeah 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 (laughs) sure absolutely um, yeah yeah yeah. but it's it's that it's that school of thought again isn't it you know um which is not strictly something that i would associate with nick cave per se not up till now no 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 
not no. at all. Someone I actually read, um, I'm not sure if it was a tweet or if someone said this to me or if I read it in one of the reviews, um, but somebody said, this is Nick Cave doing an album full of the title track of Disintegration by The Cure, mm. which is not, is, is you know, obviously... I can see what they mean by that. I think there's obviously a lot more to it than that. But you can kind of see what they're getting at when yeah. when they say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's... Uh, when you talk about orchestration and you talk about electronica, particularly with the electronic parts, I think there's always a danger that... Um, particularly for somebody like Nick Cave who is so associated with... Um, grit mm -hmm. and gruff sounding you know aged worn rougher sort of textures the idea of nick cave doing something which is electronic as you put it's it a little bit scary makes you go like oh uh oh yeah yeah but it's pretty amazing how this album does sound uh, I guess synthetic, but but analog and real and living and breathing at it, the same time. It ne absolutely. Um, it never ever ever sounds mechanical ever no. at any point whatsoever. Um, as I mentioned before, there's something within these analog synthy sounds that is almost spiritual. Um, I am nicking this from one of the reviews that one of the countless reviews I've read over the past few days, but um someone mentioned somewhere that it was like uh, almost as if you're listening in on a seance. Um, yeah. Some of the, some of the sort of synthesizer sounds on this record. Um, uh, oh, is it Bob Moog? The guy who invented the Moog mm. um, talked a lot about how there's, there's a spirituality in those kind of electronic sounds. And I would say that the electronic sounds on this record do feel very kind of seventies. Oh, definitely. Led. Yeah, definitely. We're yeah. not talking three track tigers here. No, 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 no. <laughs> we're not. We're not. Um, um, yeah, you're talking about kind of like you say. Um, I don't want to say prog synth because that makes me. Yeah. You, you'll make people think he's going. Yeah. But I do know what you mean. But tonally, yeah, yeah tonally, I think like yeah. you, it's it's certainly a kind of more tonal of a a prog synth. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and also, one thing that it did remind me of, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, I mean, particularly, there's a song in it called Night Raid, mm -hmm. which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And doesn't that remind you of... And again, this is something which is about people's reaction to someone who's... some The person they've lost. Twin Peaks. Oh. oh. <laughs> the okay. soundtrack to yeah. Twin Peaks. Night Raid has got a real kind of that twisted David Lynchian mm. Twin Peaksy vibe to it. Mm. Hadn't occurred to me, but yes, I can see where you're coming from. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think there is, I mean, in terms of, you quite beautifully put it, actually, the, this idea of um, searching for something which isn't quite there. Um, there are so many... Um, at first I really, I was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if this record is necessarily about the tragedy with his son. Mm. Um, and, and there are some bits that I think definitely aren't, 
but there are so many bits the more i listen to it the more i'm like but it is predominantly about that isn't it actually really um i think ghostine refers to him um it's a simple amalgam of the words ghost and teen um which uh took me a couple of listens to get i'm embarrassed to say but um, that, well that was my yeah okay yeah I, I didn't matter. Um, i'm sure most people are going really yeah <laughs> all right yeah um, <laughs> but, but um but you know and um there are um there's a song called ghostine speaks um yeah. where the chorus is simply i am beside you i am beside you look for me look for me and um we talked a little bit on this podcast i think it was the parkway drive special wasn't it about um nick cage's uh sort of religious beliefs and 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 this idea that like a lot of people assume that he's a- an atheist and and yeah. he's he's not really he's he he doesn't i th- i think if anything he's agnostic i i don't think nick cage would actually put a label on it but he's very um you know i think I'm sure what's happened to him in the last few years has put this into perspective quite a bit for him, but he's very interested in the search in the idea of, is there a God or not? And he's very much undecided, I think, but um, I think there's a lot of that internal searching um, on this record. There's one song I can't remember, but it's um, there's the, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but the lyrics are something along the lines of um, we are here and we think you are there as well kind of thing, you know, and, and there's so many really simple, stark um, phrases on this album, which just knock you for six yeah. constantly over and over and over and over again. And um, I've listened to this album a hell of a lot in the time that we've had it. And I feel like I hear n- new phrases and new, I f- hear something new every time on it um it reveals even more of itself to me the more that i listen to it yeah it's one of these weird i I have to say i mean of all the things that i've done in terms of broadcasting about music this is why i think this show uh, this particular show is the best thing that i've done because i've never had a chance to talk really in depth about artists of you know i don't want to downplay how much i love metal and punk and how and how important those artists are and how great some of those artists are but sometimes i mean in a lot of ways this is kind of treading new ground for me because and i almost feel like this is these albums are the kind of the most difficult albums to review are the ones that just sound like everything else and the ones that are so brilliantly personal mm. um that kind of whatever i however I hypothesize or whatever I say about it, um, I feel like I won't ever be able to explain to you truly how great this record is. Mm, mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think um, Nick Cave is the sort of artist that can combine imagination and poetry and just genius levels of ability with that rare thing of fearlessness and being completely unfiltered and the the honesty on this record is unparalleled and i think that is that is the that should surely be the goal 
for every artist in the world. And for somebody, what are we saying? 17... 17 studio albums. Studio albums. With, that's just with the bad seeds that's as just well. With the seeds, just yeah. with the bad yeah. seeds. He's on soundtracks, the birthday yeah. party. He's an he's a author. Yeah. To get this deep into a career and to still have, um, you know, so much... A, a career as a, as a cult figure, to still have so much kind of faith in your ability to do something completely outside of your comfort zone, which this album is. You know, yeah. I've never yeah. heard... Definitely. A Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds album that sounds like this. I've listened to I listened to all seventeen Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds albums. He's never done an album like this. Yeah. And to get it to the point where I mean there are there are there are, you know the feeling of it overall is is the is the key thing, is the most integral thing. The the kind of the the long listen, you know, the beginning to end, the whole sixty eight minutes of it. But there are moments on it like there's a song called Galleon Ship. Yes. And it's really quiet. It's so quiet and it's so stark. And then it lifts a little bit. And then this pia- and when it lifts, this piano part starts to just creep its way through the kind of the periphery of this song. And I piano does that a lot on this album, yeah, doesn't it? It, does. it just yeah, sort yeah. of it just sort of subtly eases, eases itself in. in. It's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. And I found myself listening to it today. And I was walking down the street and when, as that piano came in, I suddenly was like, I've been holding my breath for like mm. 45 seconds. Mm. You do just go, oh, mm. and you, it, it's, you know, for, for music to be able to, to physically affect you mm. in that way, that's not, you know, that's, that's not, um, I don't want to go, that's not what pop music, do you know what I mean? But that's, that, that big- is something bigger than just going, oh, I can write a good song. It's beyond 99.999% of artists Yeah, to be able to do that. But and, you know, I, I'm a, I was a bit like, yeah, actually, I was kind of worried because we've spoken about Nick Cave a fair bit since mm. his podcast started, mm. um, but we've never had a kind of new album to go into. So mm. when one comes along that they go, <laughs> this is a pretty sharp left turn. Mm. And like you say, it's, you know, it's a double album, but it's not really a double album. Mm. It's thematically this. And, and I was coming in as, as someone who very, very much likes Nick Cave, but doesn't have, you know, it, I've never sat down and listened to every, I, I haven't listened to all 17 Bad Seeds album. Mm. I haven't gone through his entire discography like mm. you have. I'm not a kind of uber fan. I'm not like Winston from Parkway Drive or mm. no fucking mm. obsesses over him, which is, you know, I think he's going to fucking love this record. I can, yeah, um, I'd love to know what he thinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm sure he'll love it. But, um, but it's, you know, he, he's got, for it to come in and to be this good and for it to remind me of stuff like, like Scott Walker, you know, there's we spoke about we spoke about the drift a few months ago, and um, the, this album is is dark and, but it's not like the, the drift is sinister. I don't think it's ever difficult to listen to though. No, no, it's not. I think it's always a really beautiful listen. Well, that's it. I think the drift is sinister, mm. where this isn't. It's never an aggressive listen. No, it has moments. It has moments of eerie, kind of quiet menace. Yeah, but it's never overbearingly. You ne- so. Yeah, you never feel like this is something which is 
a threat toward me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas you listen to the drift and yeah. sometimes it is like, you know, this is, this guy's, he wants to upset me yeah. a little bit. Do you know what I mean? I think this album is the audio equivalent of, um, a, a shaft of sunlight coming through a dark cloud for 68 minutes. Yeah. Constantly. That's a great show, actually. You know, and, and just came up with that. Well, it's and shrouded in It's shrouded darkness, in this darkness, but it's, but really bright. The entire and, thing yeah. is about hope and the entire thing is about surviving and living through tragedy and getting out the other end, you know? Yeah. And it's such a beautiful sentiment for someone to have put on record um, four years after one of the most tragic things that can ever happen to a human being mm. it's it's i mean quite a lot of the reviews have said that these are the most beautiful songs that nick cave have ever written before i heard it there was a bit of bulking from me because i was like we're talking about the man who wrote the boatman's call here yeah, yeah. we're talking about the man who wrote no more shall we part even skeleton tree you know really um having heard it wow i don't know 10 times in the last four or five days you, there's definitely a strong shout that these are the most beautiful songs nick cave's ever written definitely um you know i'm not i'm not prepared to make that call but quite yet but yes quite possibly um the i mean obviously nick cave's poetry and the imagery in his lyrics are always astonishing um they are particularly I think it's a particularly at a high point uh, on this album. The song "Bright Horses," the second song on the album. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go through the whole thing because obviously, when I do my reading things, I I, 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 I never I never do it justice. Um, I never <coughs> I never ever do. But I just want to give a, a brief idea. Um, the first verse is the bright horses have broken free from the fields. They are horses of love. Their manes full of fire. They are parting the cities, those bright burning horses, and everyone is hiding and no one makes a sound. And I'm by your side and I'm holding your hand, bright horses of wonder springing from your burning hand. The entire lyrical imagery of that idea of burning horses going through a city and Nick Cave holding someone's hand and those burning horses are coming out from someone's hand and brightening the whole city I, I mean, talk about creating something lyrically beautiful out of absolutely nothing. Um, that's artistry. Mm. Um, and that song, I mean, that's just the first verse. Each verse takes a totally different turn. Um, and I, I mean, it's an absolutely stunning song. Um, one of the best in his catalogue. The song after that, uh, we... Help me out, Steve. Uh, it's called Waiting For You. Waiting For You. Yeah, which is hard, it's hard to... That's one of the ones, I think, which is... Uh, there are moments in that where his voice... Like, there's no... You know some people... <laughs> you take, like, a metalcore singer or whatever, or a pop singer, mm. and they probably sing one line, and then they... Re there's no consistency to the way that he sings that, that song. There are so many moments on this album where it feels like thoughts are just tumbling out of Nick Cave's mm -hmm. mouth. And that song particularly, 
when he says waiting for you, as he repeats the waiting for you, it's done in a different cadence. It's done with a different emotive mm. sort of intent every single time he does it. That is that is a stylistic Nick Cave thing, I yeah, would say. Yeah, but, yeah. but yes, no, no. Absolutely. But I, I, I just mean that. I mean, yeah, I agree. But mm-hmm. I just mean, you know, it's it's very pronounced on that song, and I think yeah. it's also it's just something that. I mean, you could say that's a stylistic decision, but also I would just say I think that's just something that that that's what he is. That's yeah, what he yeah, sounds yeah, like. yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. mean, that's not yeah. him going. Oh, well, if I try and change it, I don't think it's even uh, that thought out. Particularly, I probably should say characteristic of Nick Cave rather yes, than stylistic yeah. decision. Yeah. But yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean that that's something he's done. Yeah, throughout course. his career. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it when you get it on a song like "Waiting for You," which feels very. You know, that's one of the ones where it feels like he's almost on the verge. There are points where I listen to that and I go, like, it sounds like he's, it's, you know, when you, your kind of lip starts going and your kind of jaw starts going when you're going to cry. Yep. There are, you listen to that song and it's like, and I was listening to it at some points going, he's, he's going, like, he's going to, he's on the brink, the brink of just breaking down. Yep. And it's, it is difficult. To, I mean, it's kind of, What's weird about it is it's not difficult to listen to. When I say no, it like that, no, when we talk about not. like, again, when I compare it to, you know, Jonathan Davis, or, it seems silly to compare it to Jonathan Davis from Corn. but I think when someone like well, Jonathan... we've both been through similar yeah, tragedies yeah, yeah, yeah. recently. But, you know, Jonathan, you, it, it really lets, you know, he's obviously letting rip and I don't doubt that that's not real at all, but it's obviously, it's a different, it's a completely different thing. Um and that is affecting and you do I think you yeah. feel kind of sympathy for Jonathan absolutely whereas you feel empathy for Nick Cave on this record yes um, I think there's you know Nick Cave particularly in the past has been known for howling at his audience and being yeah. very direct and very <laughs> aggressive and in their face and I think um, Nick Cave has this incredible power when he's more subtle and more um Mm, inward doesn't feel like the right word but he brings you in as well and i think that his i i think even though uh, uh an in-your-face performance would appear to be more affecting um i think there is something about the way nick cave performs which is far more kind of you know the hairs standing up on my arms kind of far more affecting i think the music helps that because the scarcity of the music means that you know there's nowhere to run from what these songs are about you can't ignore the sort of the you know the intent of those songs that it it, it is the you know he's always been somebody as we said before who is lyrically amazing and you want to kind of dig into what these songs are about but particularly on this album you're not really given much choice because the the music is so sparse and although you know it 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 gives him a kind of a basis to to do these things you know i think musically it's 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 fucking lovely yeah but you know because of the scarcity because of the sparseness of it you are forced to confront exactly what he's talking about absolutely absolutely yeah there's also um i wang on about dynamics on this uh, podcast all the fucking time you do um, so do i to be fair yeah yeah um it's something that is extraordinarily important in music and what i find um baffling about this record um but similar to the cult of lunar album in a, in a way or the tall album <laughs> is that 
um you could argue it's not very dynamic it's a re- it's a pretty long record 68 minutes it's yep. relatively long um short for a double album but still uh, it's a long record and um if you were to look at a sound wave of the entire album it would gradually get bigger and bigger and bigger but it wouldn't you know no. it doesn't go all over the place no, no. and yet there's something hypnotizing about this record 68 minutes Definitely. goes very 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 quickly when yeah. i listen to this album yep i agree um it does feel big and and epic in a sense but never dull never boring um and 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 again it's one of those weird uh kind of ethereal things that i i, I can't put my finger on exactly how they do it how it's done but somehow he just it is done <laughs> somehow it is done and somehow yeah. you know those three records that i just mentioned have this incredible power over me certainly to be able to make time seem to go very very fast indeed mm. um and i think it's um i think it's a really incredible thing this uh well this is obviously a masterpiece um, yeah i was gonna say come the end of the year we're going to be doing a podcast about our top 20 albums of the year. Um, we've mentioned it a few times when it comes to albums that we've really liked. Um, I mean, presumably it goes about saying that it won't be early on that we'll be talking about this record. Will it? No. <laughs> no. Um, in terms of the album of the year, I mean, I, mm, this is we've had this album five days we've had this album five days however within the first the first time that i listened to it um we split our albums of the year into two parts i already knew it would be in part two of our album of the years of yeah. my album of the years I, I, I would be yeah there's there's probably there's not a real for me there is not a real obvious clear that's gonna be like last year as soon as i heard I was like, that's it. That's the album of the year. What was your album of the year last year? Those Two Dreams, I, I fucked up. I don't think you mentioned it. Oh, I mentioned it quite a lot, actually, Run oh, Free. Well, that um, cool. <laughs> um, but there's still a few in the mix for me, thinking about what number one might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not... I mean, I'm, I I don't tend to give away things like you do. Uh, and I'm Well, not... it was just so obvious last year. And I'm not, giving, <laughs> I'm not telling you what any of them are. No, but what no, I'm no. saying is, mm. this has come along and I'm now looking at things that I mm. thought might be my number one and going, is this as good as that or is mm. it better than that? And in, in some cases, I'm like, it's probably better than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at time of writing on that motif... Uh, the album has a perfect score of 100 on Metacritic. The only album uh, of the year to have a perfect score, bar the re-release of um, an album by a small band called The Beatles. <laughs> have you heard of them? It's called yeah, Abbey yeah, Road. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the only other album to have a perfect score on the album uh, on the on the on Metacritic. Um, that's based on 11 reviews, and that might change by the time this goes out. But you know, at time of recording, um, I. Yes, I mean, you mentioned um, uh, Spirit of Eden earlier yeah. in this review. Uh, we have wanged on about how incredible that record is a lot. Uh-huh. Um, I, I've i had this record five days or something like that. I could not, um, I would not be prepared to go, oh, it is as good as Spirit of Eden yet. However, if someone turned around to me and said, I think this album is as good as Spirit of Eden, I wouldn't argue. Cool. Yeah, well, maybe. I don't. I don't know. I've never even thought about it. 
seems like quite a big thing to say, but uh, it is a big but, thing to say, and that's how good this album is. It is. It's really good. Um, it's absolutely one of the records. If you're somebody who goes, these two guys write for Metal Hammer and they don't metal and blah 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 blah, blah <laughs> and suddenly they've started like kind of phasing more heavy guitar music out. It's not because we don't like that. It's because stuff like this is so great. I mean, it is so great. Mm. It's so great to talk about. Like, I, just for the record, it's so great to talk about music like this. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel so much more fulfilled in, as a music listener for filling my time with records like this, which I often in the past haven't had a chance to. I agree, actually. I mean, that might be something to do with the fact we've been discussing this off mic, and I'm sure we can say this on mic as well. Neither of us really think it's been a wonderful year for metal. No, there's been like that last couple of weeks where there's been a lot, yeah. you know, you know, we were talking yeah, about the Sea yeah, Space yeah. Cowboys and Car Bombs and Gift from God and Renounced and uh, Number 12 and Cult of Luna and all that stuff. It's there's been one great. Or, one or two we've missed as well, which we'll do in a catch. <coughs> yeah, soon. there's a couple, of, a couple of pretty good ones. But overall... You know, it's when something like this comes along. Uh, yeah, it, it puts into perspective sort mm. of how amazing you want stuff to be. And that is not to say that there aren't albums in rock and metal that are as good as this. I think there are. Mm, like, yeah, they definitely I'd, are. They're I'd, different, obviously, completely different. Mm. They're completely different vibe and thing. But in terms of what they're trying to create, there are definitely records that are as good as this. I've um, already mentioned Tool and Cult of Luna, both of which yes. I would put in the same league. Yeah, as yeah, this, absolutely. Um, but anyway, listen, it's fucking great. You really want to listen to this. Nick can you Cope, think? Can you think of one other artist who has released an album this good, seventeen albums into their career? Because I can't. Um. Oh, fucking! I have, I have chucked that on you, admittedly. But. Yeah. Can I come back to that? Of course. Yeah. Um, Soulfly. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's released seventeen, has he? No. Uh, but he's anyway. about thirteen in though, isn't he? Yeah, Twelve, yeah. thirteen. Yeah. So only four more. I'll say Soulfly in four albums time. Um, <laughs> that's Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds with Ghost Teen. Coming up, our next record is either... Do you want to do Lightning Bolt or Baby Metal next, Renfrey? I'll give you the choice. I, I would do Lightning Bolt next, personally, but if you want to mix it up, we can do Baby Metal next. I was going to say, I feel like Baby Metal will be quite different to, to what we just talked about. too different, but let's talk about it anyway. Yes. But that's what I like about I this I suppose show. that is cool. Yes, so from the sublime to Baby Metal. Ridiculous. Uh, the third album from the... <laughs> Whatever they, I, whatever they are. I, I don't put, know. What are they? I put Japanese pop metal hybrid who refused to go away. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so this is a follow-up to Metal Resistance, which came out in 2016 and was okay. Uh, probably yeah. better than their debut record. Definitely which better also than their debut, in my opinion. quite exciting. An interesting thing when it came mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it, Metal Resistance had some really good songs on it. Yep. Uh, it felt like they'd kind of perfected the formula of what baby metal were, I thought. Yes. Oh, oh, and Although baby metal are quite a lot of things. Baby metal they? are quite a lot of things. And baby metal, funnily enough, are actually more things now here yeah. on Metal Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just preface it with this disclaimer, Renfrey. Um What we've just talked about... Mm is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, mm. right? And we're about to talk about Baby Metal, which I'd say, for, 
point number one. Oh, God, we're so eclectic. Right, that's point number one, right? Point number two is, right, um, I know that there are some pretty hardened baby metal fans out there in the world. And you may end up Googling or trying to find some review of the new baby metal album. And you may stumble upon this review. Now, what you have to bear in mind is we're talking about Clint Mansell and Roy Buchanan and Nick Cave in this week's episode. That's the sort of people, that's the sort of people that we like, sort of people that we're talking about. Calibre. That's the sort of calibre. And Martin Scorsese got in trouble recently for going, the Marvel movies aren't really cinema, they're more like theme park rides. And... He's not wrong. He's not wrong. And the thing is, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, Theme Park Rise is no, great. No, and actually, I think he's been a bit of a dick by saying that, that, that it's not cinema. Because it bloody is. Like, oh, did he say that? Okay. Hollywood, I think that's you know, bubblegum, popcorn, big budget cinema is still fucking cinema. Yeah. You might not be something that you want to do, Marty, even though you're in Shark Tale. But it's still cinema. But I, can, <laughs> I forgot he was in fucking Shark Tale. Um, <laughs> but people kicking off at Martin Scorsese like you aren't as good as the Marvel films I'm sorry but shut up yeah shut right? up shut up of course he fucking of course like fucking you know I said to you the other day you were like oh I'd rather have what did you say I'd rather, I said, have, I I'd said, rather have King of Comedy than all of the Marvel films uh, I, I actually said um, I would rather have Goodfellas uh, I'd rather have one Goodfellas than than the entire Marvel discography. Yeah, uh, and discography, I said uh, filmography. Universe, yeah. And I said I'd rather have the trailer from Shutter Island <laughs> over over every Marvel film. Um, <laughs> although I quite like, I actually quite like Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, there, there, there are Marvel, <laughs> some there are some great comic books that we talked about, but you know, mm. the, a lot of the Batman's. Um, yeah, none of not, the Marvel ones really yeah. that I've seen. I think Guardians of the Galaxy I like is Guardians good. Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I, I you, you. You were moaning about Avengers Assemble. I fell asleep um, during Avengers Assemble. Um, I, I, so boring. I, I'm, I like Avengers Assemble. It's fine. Um, but, you know... The, Didn't the, like Thor. Don't like Iron Thor Man. Thor can fuck off. Quite like... What's his name? Deadpool. That's one of those. Deadpool's it? good. Yeah, Deadpool's yeah. quite good. Um, but, you know, it's... it's um, uh, I don't it's a laugh in it. I don't have the same aversion to Marvel films or comic book films that I do with Metalcore, but <laughs> there is... The, the what they do what they are similar in is that they have a formula yeah and and they you know even the ones which like guardians of the galaxy were seen as this massive kind of oh it's going off the formula it's totally totally different if you break it down it's the same formula as the, those other yeah. films i didn't like people by the way this is getting into the market because oh well he only makes godfather he only makes gangster movies it's like well the aviator is not a gangster movie you fucking Hugo's not a gangster movie. You're like, shut the fuck up. Anyway, th- we're not going to talk about Raging Bull, King of Comedy. Yeah, exactly. We could go on. Anyway, the, the point is, is that when you're comparing, when we've just finished talking about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and this incredible double album where he's laid his soul bare, this genius has laid his soul bare, we are not now going to talk about baby metal and we'll review it for what it is. But we are not going to treat it with the same level of respect <laughs> because it doesn't deserve the same level of it. It doesn't, does it? Let's be perfectly honest about it. You cannot compare what we've just talked about, something that we are both very, very passionate about. That's mm. the sort of thing we like. I really, really like pop music. I think mm. it's great for the record. Mm. I like a lot of metalcore. 
mm-hmm. I actually have have always been massively fascinated and intrigued to a point with baby metal. Yes, I, as have I, to be clear. I went out, well. I was the first UK journalist to see them in Japan, Japan. Yeah, yeah. which is no one can take that away from me, <laughs> no matter what I say now. Um, but, you know, baby metal are a kitsch, camp, crazy, funny little thing uh, that is... But not a little thing. Well, no, they're a, yeah, but they're a cute. Well, okay. Like, Everything else he said is correct, but little thing. What do you mean, not a little thing? Uh, do you mean in terms of size? What do you mean? You're talking record sale size? No, no, I'm not talking about record sale size. I'm Sorry. saying in the grand scheme of things, you go, what a funny little curio in the I corner of, of music. Do you know what I mean? Like, there is no other scene that ba- like baby metal belong to. They are like my one, a weird thing that just sort of exists on their own little planet, which my, is cool. My one caveat to you is, is, again, you're approaching it from a UK point of view. In Japan, uh, baby metal bands are... <coughs> I, mean, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say 10 a penny, but, but, but baby metal are not... Um, K-pop, yeah, but with guitars, there's not many of them, is there? I think that I think there's enough for it to be considered a subgenre. Okay. As far but as surely I'm aware. they've they've they're, surely they're the godfathers of it or the god mothers um, of it. Uh, 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 from what I re- from what I know, um, no, not necessarily. Um, I'm of the impression that baby metal, for some bizarre reason, so there's reason, like a mushroom head out there. There's sort of some, some sort of baby <laughs> metal equivalent to if you're a slip baby metal slipknot. There's some like mushroom head baby metal style band who get really angry that baby metal are massive and they're not. I am not an expert on it, but but I am led to believe from speaking to people about right. this that yes, that is this the is case. some serious commitment to pedantry. I have to say, Renfrey, yeah, I'm, a, I'm Mr. Pedant. Like, yeah, absolutely, like genuine. I think, but I do think it's worth mentioning that because that is only the case to western ears it's not the case to worldwide ears worldwide ears well i'd say american and european ears and probably australasian and a lot of i don't know anyway i don't know the point is over here okay well we're not we don't (laughs) live in japan so we don't really know so yeah maybe you know maybe nick cave goes over to japan and people are like what's this what a weird (laughs) little thing and well maybe yeah i don't know maybe but we, we don't know that what we can talk about is baby metal here have a very very strong very committed very very um hardcore fan base definitely and i can understand why because you know to my i've never i've never seen or heard anything like baby metal before true absolutely i'm the same you know um but then to be honest i'd never heard anything like cotton eye joe before when i heard it (laughs) well also i mean you know i'm i'm um baby being Baby metal. Thank you. Baby metal were um, a uh, in the running for download headliners. They were in that conversation, weren't they, for a little bit? Yes. And I feel like I think in this country they have taken a bit of a step. <laughs> <laughs> They're back up to because they played Brixton. Um, I nearly went to the Brixton show, but I didn't go to the Brixton mm-hmm. show. So they so Wembley they did that, um, the day before <coughs> or after. <coughs> Metal, the last one came out, Metal Resistance. Did Wembley uh, Arena, I went to They that, did yeah. Wembley Arena, I was there as well. Uh, good show. Well, I wasn't just, I was, yeah, it was entertaining. Yeah, I had a good time. I, liked I had a good time. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, 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 it was good. Um, but now they are, well, they, they, they've just done Brixton Academy, which is about 4,000 cap. 
Uh, they're about to do Hammersmith Apollo, which is about 5,000 cap, but obviously Wembley Arena was 12,000 cap. Yeah. Did that sell out? I can't remember. No, it didn't, did it? It didn't, no. Um, so so, so yeah. probably a step below that status now, but they were they were in the running for head, um, download headliners. And, and I will say very quickly, bar Ghost, um, they would be by far my favorite i mean i don't think they're in the running anymore sadly but they would be by far my favorite um to to absolutely uh, of the bands who are absolutely. in that running all the bridge five finger death punch exactly fucking blackstone cherry you- exactly they are oh, take them boring take boring boring baby metal are at least doing something different it's not i you know i don't um listen to baby metal on a regular basis personally I'd love um, to see him headline a big show, though, right? It'd be a right I, I absolutely would. Yeah, and I would, t- I would totally request uh, a guest list, and I would, I would love to go, and I'd probably have a very good time. Yeah. So, so fair play, Baby Mill. Yeah, I, I mean, mate, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, the, the one I would say is I, yeah, Ghost, Ghost and Parkway, I, I would take over Baby Metal, but I think okay. Baby Metal, um, that's fair. Definitely, like, would be you know a far more interesting headliner than any of the hailstorm or the guff bands that get yep. you know a day to remember i, I still am like you, are we talking about the same band day, you're talking about days remember <laughs> you want a day that yeah. band who have taken two really bad types of music and made both <laughs> of them worse um <laughs> you want that band to headline oh wow fucking hell you all look really shit music don't you um so anyway um so yeah i would definitely uh take baby metal that being said I feel like I've sat on the fence for Baby Metal a lot because I normally go, yeah, I find all this really interesting. Mm. But is it actually any good? Renfrey, Hello. Metal Galaxy, as a record, is it actually any good? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. Um, well, uh, it's my favourite Baby Metal record. Is it now? Yeah. Mm. And and fair play, I think... I think they have gotten better on every single record. The problem is the issues that I had with Baby Metal's self-titled album are still issues on this album as well. That would be? Uh, length. <coughs> this album is 57 minutes long. It's the longest Baby Metal album so far. Um, it's so There's so many ideas being kind of thrown at you and frenetic. I, I think they have managed to consolidate a baby metal style sound more so certainly if you go back to the self-titled debut album there was still a lot of kind of like you're still trying to figure out exactly what you are here aren't you yeah like there was those weird like hip-hop beaty bits and stuff which i don't ever think really worked maybe that's just my taste actually um but um it feels like they do know exactly what they are now and they more or less more or less stick to it there are bits where it goes a little off to say well, the least. i was gonna say there's a you know i i think they know what they are but i think they're definitely adding more stuff in mm-hmm. um you might want to perfect what exactly what it is you do before you add more stuff in i would mm. say yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah when yeah, baby yeah. metal are good they're really very good i agree yeah you know they yeah. are really good there there's, are some corkers on this record there's some corkers and there's some like full-blown just for me my favorite thing i like a big riff and um some proper like super sugary pop 
mm-hmm. over the top of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a cool mix of stuff. There's a song, the song Elevator Girl, which is out now. Like you've yeah. probably heard it. Um, to me, that's what Baby Metal should sound like. Yeah, I it's really, absolutely mental. I really it's like really it. Catchy. It doesn't really. It doesn't sound like any other band in the world. Mm. It's still really heavy as well. And my my one minor issue with Elevator Girl, I I don't like it when they sing in English. I'd rather they just stuck. Yeah, their yeah, native yeah. Japanese. I was going to say like it is weird here in the Yeah, uh, because because you have this kind of. I, I'm not going to imitate it, but you have this weird. Um, uh, <laughs> Japanese version of English which doesn't it just <sighs> oh, you're gonna hate, yeah. their English is better than my Japanese but because but it's laughable because it's because, because, hole, because it's because it's not you know it's not pronounced correctly I think everyone wants thing, you to do the accent room for no I'm not gonna do it no, sure. um, but um, and I think I think it would be much much better if they just stuck it's it's a weird kind of it's obviously done because they're like, oh, this will probably get us more plays if we have English versions of stuff. They did it last um, time because there was two yeah. versions of that insipid, horrendous song, the one from their last record. Yeah. There was an English version and a Japanese version, both of which are fucking dreadful. <laughs> um, <coughs> fuck off the ballad, didn't it? A lot of the time with Baby yeah. Metal, I would say yes, fuck, fuck off, off the, the ballads. ballads. Yeah, There are one or two But versions. then ballads in general, you know, I think I'd say, I'd say that to Britney Spears. Wouldn't say it to the Menzingers, though. Yeah, but the Menzingers... I mean, the mental... This is how far... Those listen, this is how far away from the sort of mainstream world that Renfrey operates, that when (laughs) I'm talking about baby metal and Britney Spears, two genuinely comparable things Renfrey's <laughs> idea of a mainstream act is the Menzingers right? I didn't I mean, realise that was where you were going with it yeah, okay, no, but fine, I mean like fine, if fine. You, you know pop bands in general I'm talking about yeah, I'm talking okay. about like pop acts not a Westlife fan then no no see Westlife the, five never had any ballads uh, I never purchased any of their albums so, so I wouldn't know but yeah sure I think you know East 70 what about Mama? a couple Mama rubbish Spice Girls isn't a mama. <laughs> Fucking hell. Viva Forever? You want Spice Viva. Up Your Life? Oh, I don't think I hate that song. Viva People Forever? What? <laughs> Viva Forever? Oh, what's that one? Viva Forever. Oh, no rubbish, Renfrey. Ballads. My, uh, uh, the boy in that, um, uh, in the video for that, uh, went to my school. Did he? Yeah. Oh. Did he meet Jerry? Uh, Probably well, uh, no, I doubt, I doubt it because they're not in that video, are they? It's, it's those weird, um, angelic, uh, yeah. uh, yeah. oh, uh claymation versions of them. Gutted. Yeah. Uh, anyway, back to Baby Metal. <laughs> um, same thing as Spice Girls, really. So, you know, I, yeah, when Baby Metal do the thing that Baby, what I would like is half an hour of Baby Metal just being absolutely, like, full on mental. I feel like we've got to the point where if I took... Um, all of the songs that I like from the three baby metal albums that have come out, um, I would have a really fucking great hour, 70, maybe 80 minute compilation of of music that I really, really, really enjoyed. Um, there is a bit of an issue sometimes, such as on the first uh, first song proper, um, second song really, Da Da Dance. Um, there is this thing with that baby metal have where like maybe I love the verse, and then something happens in the chorus, just makes me go. Ugh. So um, you hate pop music, that's why. Uh, I don't, I don't, but I don't hate pop music. Do I? I hate metalcore a lot more than I hate pop music, mm. a lot more. Um, but um, <laughs> well, we'll see soon. We? <laughs> but there's a, there's a, uh, 
there's a key. I mean, I admire them in a sense. Baby Metal managed to put a key change about three minutes into this record. Now, obviously, I don't listen to a lot of power metal and things along along those lines, but I think surely that must be some sort of record. I doubt it. Yeah, maybe not. I know ridiculous power metal bands that you get. 30 seconds in you have to ask adam reese who oh uh, we should yeah right, who writes for hammer i'd love to get uh, on the show. who likes some b- bizarrely yeah. cheesy music yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, but but you know i i'm i'm rarely a fan of the key change there are definitely some exceptions but i'm very rarely a fan of the key change and, yeah. and uh dada dance comes in and, and i'm i'm well into it and then it goes into the chorus and that key change i'm like oh, go away well can we talk about the high stroke low point of the record Yes. Shanty, 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 followed by Oh My Johnny. Oh My Johnny features Joachim Brodkin of Sabaton fame. I have uh, been waiting all week. Which one do you want to, to start with, Renfrey? Um, shanty, shanty, shanty basically is them doing some sort of Bangra thing, right? Yeah, vaguely Middle Eastern thing. Now, don't do, I think maybe don't do that. It's like baby metal mixed with Cooler Shaker, and <laughs> nobody has ever wanted. Well, no one's ever wanted Cooler Shaker at all. So you certainly don't want to meld something. Anything plus Cooler Shaker is diluting whatever that other thing was. Yeah. I mean... You're making it worse. I think you could take like Paul Joseph Watson plus Cooler Shaker and somehow it'd be, it'd be worse. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, mean I, I do not share this viewpoint because I actually fucking hate this argument. But people who are not a fan of what is modernly termed cultural appropriation mm. would surely have a massive issue with baby metal as a whole. Because there is an awful lot of... of yeah, they should, what... be doing, they should be doing metal. That's a white person thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, guys, we invented it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pathetic. Yeah. Um, no skateboards for anyone but white people. That's what the Bill Burr special when he's like, <laughs> no one can have skateboards apart from white people because we invented them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, to be clear, I think that argument is fucking nonsense. But, um, but you know, if you do have an issue with cultural appropriation, um, then don't listen to baby metal ever because that is basically what they do, isn't it? What, on Shanty Shanty Shanty? Their entire career? I would argue. Well, I think them, they're the girl, the girls. The they sl- have they have their foundation and then they bring in elements of everything from yeah, everywhere is, else this is the uh, this well i guess this is why i don't understand the concepts of cultural appropriation yes I, well i mean i i agree with you wholeheartedly i think yeah. it's utter nonsense it's but um ridiculous and to be honest i mean people who complain about cultural appropriation are actually stifling creativity because most of the best things in art full stop are hybrids of stuff yeah so to impose rules and go you're not allowed to take this because of your ethnicity is fucking moronic yeah i th- i i'm glad you think that room free i i'm so i feel it so strongly yeah I, I do. I anytime someone really, says it i want to really, punch them in the really face stupid you remember wes anderson released uh isle of dogs and people were going yeah. why have your do- it's meant to be japanese and your dogs have got american accents yeah and it's like well they're dogs yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're why get in a d- fucking bin dogs like, don't oh, speak oh. at all yes. like if you want to get really Dogs can't speak. Yeah. Like, why don't you make a, a film where the dogs bark? Like, if you're going to get annoyed, don't get annoyed that famous American people who will help sell this movie, who Wes Anderson works with in every single film, are doing their own accent. Mm. Get annoyed mm. that it's not dogs. Yes. You fucking fool. So, I, I, yeah. But this whole idea that, like, a certain genre or whatever belongs to a race or an ethnicity or a or a country or whatever, fucking bullshit. 
Yeah, it's fucking like. nonsense. Yeah, although Cooler Shaker, you can't do that. Uh, yeah, Cooler Shaker is, <laughs> Cooler is the Shaker exception. Is the, You're not allowed the to do one, it. The one exception to the rule. Um, um, I really, 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 really want to hear you talk about um, Oh Magini because in my opinion, Steve, it has every single element of a song that would drive you fucking actually, insane. I feel about that song, it's it's weird. It's a, it's a tough one because... On one hand, I hate the song, mm. but on the other hand, I feel kind of, I feel like they've written it just to annoy me. <laughs> yeah. So I actually feel quite honoured in a lot of ways. <laughs> I feel like there's no way that this could have been created with anything else in mind other than just think like, <laughs> what would this off. guy hate <laughs> the most? And this is... This is what they've got. And That's they've the got thing. pretty when close. You went, when you went over to Japan, you did say if a band ever wrote um, uh, an Aelstorm style sea shanty with uh, the, guy, the, from the guy from Sabaton on it um, and and two Japanese girls uh, saying things over the top, it would be the most irritating thing in the world. And it's they, they... a really... So, but, here, but here's the thing, right? Now, it's... I hate that song. It is absolutely fucking joyless and awful i i cannot stand it obviously i had this album on i was in the kitchen and i had the album on and i i almost sort of got on my knees and started weeping <laughs> as it was playing coming out of my spell i was like this is happening in my own house um but do you know what i'm gonna defend it a little bit and okay. I, I, i'll tell you why because i think it would be really really easy for baby metal at this point to start phasing out the metal and particularly yeah. to start phasing out the very 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 uncool metal power metal is not cool yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah. and maybe you know again it might be cooler in where they're from it might be mm. cooler in japan it might actually not have the kind of stigma that it has attached to them in the in the uk i think That's europe possible. as well and europe, obviously yeah. well yeah they love it in europe don't they mm. um but you know certainly there are things that they could be doing which would for a kind of worldwide appeal that would definitely be seen as being cooler than mm -hmm. getting the singer from arch enemy in or the singer from sabaton in right yeah and they're still what do you mean what, you're, you're trying to think oh, I'm, no, only, I'm only thinking no cooler than i'm only sabaton. thinking europe is a massive fucking market but most people go for the american market don't they where i don't think this sort of thing flies so yes that's i think true. they're doing all right in america though yeah, I think they are. They're yeah. doing all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you you may well be right. Uh, but you know, I thought they could start phasing this out. Now, now I'm thinking about it more. Like maybe you're right. But um, but certainly, like getting um, the guy from Sabaton on and 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 really leaning leaning into that power metal thing more than they pretty much more than they ever have. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Is, it goes to show that you know that the whole thing about oh they're flashing the pans and they're pop stars and like they're you know they're still very much sticking to being a metal band well it feels and like they're doing what they want to do and fair play to them yeah. like you know i i don't like that song that's no, rubbish it's i mean i think it's terrible yeah. but uh but i do kind of applaud them for doing it in a weird way yeah um so yeah fair. yeah there, there are some really bad songs on this record Right, Should we get to the good ones though? I feel like we've yeah, we've there are like right, elevator girl is really good. Um, uh, I I am wondering how you feel about night night burn. Night night burn. Night night burn. It sounds to me like baby covering a uh, baby metal covering a song from a Sonic the Hedgehog video game, specifically a Mega Drive era Sonic the Hedgehog game, um, and it's got it's got an incredible guitar solo on it. That's something which I'll say. Um, uh, 
not very many guitar solos on this record no. compared to the other records. Bit no. of a shame just because the band the are phenomenal. Baby Metal St. Anger this is, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> I, from what... From what I recall, I mean, I, I do towards the end of this album, I do really zone out um, because it ended with two of the badly ones. Like, it does yeah. end with two badly ones. Yeah. Um, but there's only there's only two or three guitar solos on the whole record, um, mm. which is a bit of a shame because I thought it was actually one of the um, uh, one of the one of the best things about them. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, yeah, it's just very video gamey. I quite like that one. I don't know, if <laughs> mate. I think the middle section. To be honest, I don't. I can't even recall it in my head. Okay, fair enough. The middle section is all a bit. It's not really until distortion and papaya, which weirdly, the first time I heard papaya, I was like, nah. This is rubbish, but fuck me, it's catchy. It's bloody, bloody catchy. I was about to say, totally understand why it's been released as a single, because yeah. it is a hell of an earworm. Um, I think I'm still on the fucking irritating. Um, it, it, it just it just annoys me. I wouldn't go as far as to say I think it's a bad song. It just annoys me. It rubs right. me up the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, a little bit surprised you've um, uh, skirted over in the name of. Uh, which is that one which it starts with a massive like chamber orchestral opening before going into that tribal Slipknot-esque oh, yeah. Sepultura That's roots heavy, type thing. One, yeah. The heaviest song on the record Definitely by the far. Heaviest song on the record. For me, my favourite song on the record. Is it? And bizarrely, I think the only song not to feature the girls on it at all. No, it doesn't seem to feature the girls. It's a weird one. It's a weird one, that, actually. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's quite a good song, but then it feels weird that Baby metal are not on your the favorite best. song on yeah, the, I, the well, baby metal album. Quite, yeah. I mean, I think it's um, yeah. It kind of just passed me by a little bit, and I think purely because when you listen to a baby metal album, I want Elevator Girl. I want I want ten of them. Sure, sure. And sure. you don't get that. Like, there's plenty of songs that are a bit like that, Slipknot. But it's cool. Like, you know, again, it's one of those things where you go, good for you. You're not, you know, you're not dialing down. You're not giving up on being a metal. No, band. and so I, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and I, I. <laughs> I was just I was into it. I think it's got some cool oh. death metal vocals on it. I don't know who does them, but I think it's you know, I think that's a good song. If if I were making my my aforementioned baby metal playlist thing, it would definitely be on there. Good. Definitely. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know who you're going to send that to, but fine. Um, <laughs> but mate, overall, like this is a yeah, it probably is the best baby metal album. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like baby metal. When I listen to baby metal, I get reminded of those. You know, those people who say that. Um, uh, those people you encounter in life who say that they like a little bit of everything. You know, <laughs> oh, I like a bit of everything. Me. Yeah. Um, I've got really varied and eclectic taste. And yeah. actually, what when you get down to the bottom of what that statement means, what it actually means is I'll listen to pretty much anything because, on I, have the radio. because I have absolutely no sense of quality whatsoever. Um, that baby, every time I listen to baby metal, it reminds me of those people. Yeah. And, and I, th I think that's the those thing. People who are your favorite grindcore bands? Yeah. Well, quite well, you, that's usually what I do ask in the game. We what? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I like everything from uh, Coldplay to Keen, to usually. Ke fucking yeah. hell. Um, yeah, that darling Renfrey slagging off Keen. Yeah, she loves it. Oh, for fuck's sake, we're gonna have words afterwards. She likes Keen. What guest appearance on the podcast? See if you can defend that. Two weeks running. Um, yeah, and you know, it's it's too long and it's it's incredibly hit and miss, as is every baby metal record. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that baby metal don't stick to EPs. 
considering the pop nature of what they do, I'm surprised they release albums at all. They all do. All these bands, they go like fucking smash out a massive long 16 track album with loads and loads of tracks on it, and then we'll get streamed. The whole thing will get streamed on Spotify, and then that's how they make our money. I think. I think that's, that's what the thing. it is, Renfrey. Obviously, we look at we look at when we review an album, we review the album, mm. but it's a weird one in this case because it's like, are, are people, are the majority of baby metal fans going to listen to metal galaxy as an album? And I don't know this for a fact, but I would wager probably not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think they've got quite a, quite a um, strong fan base. I think they've got quite a, 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 an obsessive hardcore fan base. I think they will. Yes. I and, think- I, and I think that strong and obsessive fan base are those people who I talked about before who are like, I like a little bit of everything, but maybe. I have no quality control whatsoever. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I mean, um, they might just like, uh, a lot of them just like, probably just like to dress up and they like pictures, don't they? They're I'm glad you went there. In, I thought you were going to go somewhere else, but yes. They just like, get, like sending gifts of like, a bloody... I'm not comparing them to the BTS fucking army or whatever, but those people are off their fucking, off their head. Um, you just sort of think, oh, do you actually like music or do you just like, <laughs> like it's always, oh, look at, look at this nice haircut. Like this sort of asexual um, boy band, like boy band from Korea. The BTS army, have you seen this? Yes, yes, yes. yes. I, I mean, oh, yeah. the, I don't think the baby metal fans are anywhere near as no, bad as those people because I don't no, think no, anyone no. is no. as bad as those people. No. I mean, there are people no. on, like, you know, Infowars who are nicer, <laughs> nicer than those people. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a good baby metal record. I agree. But again... Um, but it, it, where, a where good it, baby metal album that has the exact same issues with the previous two. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I don't think they're ever going to change. And their fan base will be very happy to hear that, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, I feel like... Um, Do you think it's as good as the Nick Cave album? I think I'm going to need a little bit more time with it. Um, No, Uh, of course it's not. That is utterly preposterous. It is, yeah. And if, if, you know, just thought it was, you know, we should at least make that clear. Anyway, that's called Metal Galaxy. It's by Baby Metal and it is out right now. Let's move on to our next band and our next album. It comes from the band Lightning Bolt. The album is called Sonic Citadel. It's the seventh album from the weirdo noise rock duo coming off the back of 2015's Fantasy Empire album. Renfrey, um, this album's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. How, what is, what's your relationship Don't really with Lightning have Bolt? one. So Lightning Bolt, uh, they're funny Lightning Bolt because they're a band who I heard about about five, six years into their career. And it was a time really? when... Oh, like way back in the day because they've been going for about like 25 years. Yes, they have. Yeah. Bolt. So um, it was probably, yeah, so it was 97 or so that they formed, right. I think. Uh, maybe it was a bit earlier. The debut album came out in about that time. But anyway, I, so maybe it was a bit more than five years. But anyway, it was around the time when I became familiar with Lightning Bolt when there was all of the the bands coming out. Do you know what I mean? Oh, right, yeah. So um, early 2000s. I kind of mistook Lightning Bolt for a Datsuns or Ooh, a... Goodness. I, I don't want to say Jet, but, you know, it'd be hilarious to think that you might think that those two bands have anything in common. So fuck it, I'm going to say Jet. <laughs> um, which obviously they're nothing like. And then when I um, learned a little bit more about them, to me, uh, my my kind of my vague impression was that they were much more of a kind of ATP band, and this was around mm. the time where I was going uber metal. Mm-hmm. So I was getting right back into like 
heavy metal denim and leather, you know, st- like I was buying sort of Megadeth albums and it was when yeah. sort of, uh, you know, the Saxon whole... back catalogue. Yes, I did buy some Saxon <laughs> albums. Yeah. Um, oh, big time. Yeah. Well, this, that's the time when I bought my Maiden albums. Oh, yeah. 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 So I didn't give them much of a time of day, but uh, what I did, I always preferred the excellent Death of a Brother 1979, who again are singing, uh, bass and drums, and drums duo with a singing drummer. You, mm, there's, uh, yeah, bar that, there's not really much no, difference. No, but there was a uh, few. There, there, Sorry, there's not much in common. No, no, there's not. But, you know, I think that, I don't think that's, I, I think Death of Above are. I don't think a, they're a noise rock act. Death of Above? Mm. No, I don't either. But I think Death of Above are... Did you ever see them live? Yes. That's they're fucking noisy. Like I'm not saying they're not noisy. I'm just saying they're not specifically a noise rock band. No, they're not a noise rock band. But, you know, like, there was... What I was about to say was mm. there was this was the period where there was lots of duo bands popping up. Yes. In the kind White Stripes. Of the, after the White Stripes. Yes, yes, above, yes, yes. Whoever. I mean, bloody hell. Uh, I probably should have paid a little bit more attention to them back in the day. Mm. Um, uh, I got into Lightning Bolt far later than you. Um, it was really their last record. Um, and I went to see them at the garage cause I'd heard so much about this band from what I recall. I wasn't very well that night and I went and I was incredibly impressed, but, um, they were so outrageously frenetic and loud and just unabashedly noisy uh, I had to leave early <laughs> because I thought I was going to be physically sick. Uh, one of the few bands who've done that, Hello Condra. Um, so yeah, I mean, Lightning Bolt are a really. Like, I, I'm I'm not into an awful lot of noise rock, if I'm honest. But I would say that uh, Lightning Bolt are pretty much. When people say noise rock, uh, Lightning Bolt are basically the band that I go. Is it as good as Lightning Bolt? Because if it isn't, I'm not interested. Yeah. Um, and yeah, basically the manner that this record is sort of put together is everything is cranked up and put into the red, mm. um, which might give the impression of a kind of Converge-esque sound, which isn't quite accurate. I would actually say if you imagined, I'd say what's closer is if you imagined Queens of the Stone Age played by a two-piece, but produced in such a manner that literally everything is in the red. Yeah. That's kind of what Lightning Bolt are, more or less. Mm. Yeah, no. Mm. 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 I don't think they're sort of they're 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 much more playful than Queens of Stone Age, I think. Queens of the Stone Age are pretty damn damn playful when they want to be. When they want to be. How often do they mm, I suppose when I say Queens of the Stone Age I think of early Queens. So Yeah, okay, yeah, that's probably a better shout to be fair. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean I still think this is way more obviously this is way more frenetic and yes are Queen oh of Stone Age ever funny do you know uh, what I mean like this is quite a funny album you could you mm, uh, no not in the same way as Lightning Bolt no, no. Like, you, Lightning Bolt, I, I, I see is, I see some comedy in a shopping list of drugs feel good here yeah, 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 but, yeah. But, but, but yeah but it's not you know like, I don't think Queens of the Stone Age are po-faced no no no, no I don't either but I think that, that this this is we used the word wacky last week and it felt like a, a kind of a shameful thing to do but mm. I almost want to use it with this as well because Yee. because they are like they're like do you remember the banana splits yes the, you know they're like they're like the a two man the, band. the two man banana splits okay like being played by the Ramones at fucking 
but with the distortion turned up even harder. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it is. Okay. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like it's, it's wacky races. They were like a, they're like a Hanna Barbera cartoon that, that has signed to Discord. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. <coughs> I was looking for the episode title and there it is. Um, yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Lightning Bolt are an incredibly, considering they are a duo, they, they make an incredibly impressive amount of noise, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, their drummer, um, Brian Chippendale, this is going to sound like a little bit of a crass comparison and in a way it is, but um, the fact that he is the vocalist and the drummer is mental. Is unbelievable um and immediately makes me think of stephanie from brutus what i would say is i think brian chippendale is a better drummer than stephanie um but his uh but stephanie's probably a better vocalist definitely a better singer yeah, it's for sure. a better singer yeah um <coughs> but you know two two people who are doing um who are effectively playing the same two types of instruments at the same time but doing something totally different with it brian chippendale just seems to be constantly trying to beat the shit out of his kit. He's an animal from the Muppets. Yeah, yeah, all the time, basically. Um, And once again, not to the same level as Nick Cave by a country mile, but this album is quite long. It's about, is it 52 minutes? Something like that? No, it's 40-odd minutes, I think. No, 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 it's 50-something. I know that. It's definitely 50-something. 50-something? That sounds like a... It's 53 minutes. There you go. Okay. Correct me. Uh, it's 53 minutes long. Um, it's feels shorter than that. I, in the main, agree. Well, I'll tell you why it feels like it does. That Van Halen 2049, the last song, which is hard work. Brilliant. <sighs> now, uh, this, this is my one beef with Lightning Bolt. Um, they've done this the last two albums as well. Um, Plonker, nine minute, 10 minute, 11 minute song on the end of their album which actually reminds me of those nirvana bonus tracks yeah like endless nameless and gallons of rubbing alcohol flowing through the strip yeah Uh, amazed i remembered that title um you know it's kind of (sighs) like it's the sort of thing that dickheads go oh that's my endless nameless is my favorite nirvana song and you just go no it isn't shut up um there are uh, there are points where I, th- I think that's the what the genius of lightning bolt for me is the fact that it is on the brink of being too much all the time <laughs> yeah. and then and then it is and then but it never actually is my my beef with those last songs that they do on the last couple of records is that's when they push it over the top and yeah. i'm like well what has made this brilliant you've now lost it yeah um i like six minutes of it fine Nine minutes, you. I do go, I'm going to, I actually get to six minutes and I'm like, oh, it's so loud. And I'm like, yeah, yeah look how yeah. loud they are. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. And then uh, the last, well, I'm like, I, no, I might, I might just, nothing's yeah. going to happen in the next three, exactly. three minutes. Yeah. So I'm just I think, yeah. I, but I do, I actually kind of, I enjoy, as a, an experiment in just sonic bastardry, I, <laughs> I quite, I quite enjoy it. Experiment in Sonic Bastardry, another brilliant title. Thanks very much, mate. I appreciate that. Um, there's a couple of songs in here which are, I mean, the opening four, I have to say, Blow to Head, USA is a Psycho, Air Conditioning, and the exquisitely titled Husker Don't is, uh, <laughs> is um, all four of them are brilliant and all four of them Agreed. don't don't really sound like each other. Agreed. Uh, which is pretty mad. Considering... And all four of them don't let up at all. Yeah. And yeah, they, they are, they are, uh, 
I don't want to use wacky, but fuck it. They're wacky. They're, you know, <laughs> like they're, it's a maddening blur of distortion and screaming and noise and hitting things. And yeah. yet somehow, somehow they're all really more, catchy. Far more interesting than that, that should sounds. be. Yeah. yeah. And um, I was originally talking about how this album was 53 minutes and doesn't sound like it. And, and yes, bar that Van Halen 2049 record uh, song, it is amazing <coughs> that f- this album keeps me entertained for 42 minutes whilst really being on the same sonic plane i don't i think these songs are there's a different. little there's don henley in the park yeah which yeah. is an instrumental which is a kind of weird little which is um beatles at their most psychedelic yeah. but done in a noise rock style yeah, which is cool. great it's really cool um but for the most part this album is one uh level sonically and and i think it says a lot about lightning bolt that they do actually keep my interest for the first 10 tracks of the 11 track album yeah. and, and and that's like i say that's the genius of lightning bolt yeah and again i don't really know how they do it but they do no i don't really mm. but they're good they're they are really very good. very good and it i is. and my god i would recommend seeing them live as well come and see them like they're doing like two or three nights at the underworld okay cool. where yeah. they're like playing albums in full i i mean um they often you know set up in the middle of the floor yeah. and you know like being stood next to the drummer is a incredible experience so uh, there you go i would strongly recommend seeing lightning bolt Live. yeah i would like to do that so that's lightning bolt the album is called sonic citadel it is out right now we've got one more before we do trade off and then we're going to get out of here uh our last release comes from can't swim it is the foreign language ep um it is well i mean we've spoken about can't swim a few times i think their album came out last their second album came out last year last year it was called Late this too year. won't pass we were both very very keen on it yeah, there's a sort of up to this point i mean we're gonna have a probably little spat about this but there's that they're they're the kind of one of those heartland rock bands but a really bratty really, yeah angry version they of managed to get the uh, to me that they they get in the middle of alkaline trio and gaslight anthem yeah that's really good that's a very good show actually yeah um I, I I adore. I think you're the same. I adore this band. I think they're absolutely yeah, they're amazing. They're four years old. This band, yeah. and and it is absolutely stunning. The a the amount of material they keep wanging out, and b the quality of it. It's just really really good. In my opinion, this is no exception. I really like it. In fact, I was going as far as to say this is one of my favourite things that Can't Swim have released. This is a short, sharp, six track, twelve minute. Is it six tracks? It is six tracks. Six track. Uh, 11 minutes and 48 second EP, which showcases the heavier, uh, more what I would call post hardcore edge of the band. Uh, but we had a brief conversation before um, before recording whilst we were setting up that you think this is a metalcore EP. Yep. Uh, this ex- is pure stomping. This is like terror. This is what I write down. This is obnoxious. Definitely obnoxious. Obnoxious hardcore. It's proper stompy. I'd agree it's obnoxious hardcore. I don't see where the metal is. There's no there's barely any metal in this. Well, I think that there's when you talk about like, you know, some of the modern sounding production techniques, I think that gives you a modern metalcore feel. 
to most of this. I actually have written down, there's a song called Filthy Rich and it's like Limp Limp Biscuit gone metalcore. Um, And Sour features a geezer from Stray From The Path in it. Stray From The Path, again, a band who, yeah, you could go, they're not strictly a metalcore band, but they're certainly very, very heavy. And this is a pure, you know, it's not metalcore as in like, you know. the. This is a heavy EP. Absolutely, I don't yeah, really think heavy. it's a metalcore EP. I, 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 don't, I just do not see where you're coming from at all. Hardcore, absolutely. Post-hardcore, absolutely. Metalcore, I, where's the metal? I don't think there's any metal in this. Big riffs, isn't it? There's big riffs, but you can have big riffs without being metal. Queens of the Stone Age have big riffs. They're, they're not metal. a metal band. Yeah, but they're a stone. They're different sort of riffs, aren't they? They're not like these are. These aren't metal riffs. Uh, no, maybe not. At last, good, right. So well, we've, we've gang both vocals. agreed that it's not a me- yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, Gallows are gang vocals. They're not a metalcore band. No, but, no, they're not. <laughs> um, uh, but but it is. It's- Speak out on. Speaking of, really quickly, this is a diversion. But I've just remembered. I saw the final part of that punk documentary, which you've been talking about on yeah. Sky Arts. But this is just remind me in terms of being pedantic about genres the final part of that punk documentary and this is going back to episode zero wangs on about nirvana for a good 10 minutes yeah i know it does and if a punk documentary executively produced by godfather of punk icky pop says that nirvana are a punk band then nirvana are a punk band well Thank hold you. on a second hold on a second no one ever argued that nirvana didn't come through the punk scene nobody at any point did i <laughs> deny nirvana's link or roots within punk rock at no. any point no but they are uh, but they're a punk band uh well i can't believe we're going I think to an argument which started 18 months ago i still think they're a rock but i th- you know they are so much broader than punk rock Iggy Pop disagrees. Iggy Pop does not disagree. (laughs) That is the most well-trodden fucking path. That that is what I had a problem. One of the many things I had a problem with on that bloody... Anyway, I'm not getting into that. Anyway, yeah, you're right. I was mucking around, to be fair. This isn't really a metal call, but it is definitely... Oh, you were mucking around Yeah, before we started it, I was going to go, ha-ha, Renfri likes metal call, and then see you kick off. But really, it's more of a... It is a hardcore EP, but it's definitely an ob- a super obnoxious... Absolutely. Like, really yeah. kind of gruff, nasty, and it... Uh, Brilliantly obnoxious. Yeah, it's very good. The uh, There's a line on Filthy Rich, uh, we're relatives, but we can't relate. I'm nothing like you, and I never will be degenerate. <laughs> brilliant and you wouldn't have expected that from can't swim because normally they're uh um they what i would say is in the past they have had 20 percent to eight, 20 20 to 80 the 20 percent being that kind of aggro thing yeah. but with this i reckon it's more 50 50 and i love I, I love that they're going let's just do an ep of our really heavy shit um because <coughs> it is it's still them it's still undoubtedly them but it's just them going at it well them at 11 them on acid let's get all the cliches out but um you know it, it is it is them just going hard and heavy for 11 minutes and 48 seconds that the 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 fact that it's so short i mean i usually listen to this three times in a row yeah, um, and i'm quite happy to um it's a fun little stopgap ep i like yeah, it and i yeah. and I, I like this i like this whole idea you know as I said, Can't Swim four years old, um, literally since they formed four years old, and they've got two EPs and two albums now, and they haven't nothing they've released is bad. Yeah. The weakest thing they've released is their debut EP, Death Deserves a Name, and and it's very good. Yeah, 
So there you go. Um, that is Foreign Language EP by Can't Swim. Let's finish the show, Renfrey, with trade-off. Last week, I gave you Livestock by Roy Buchanan. That is the first live album from the Arkansas-born guitar hero from 1974. Um, uh, oh, I thought it was five. Pageantry. I'm not sure. Okay, I think it's, well, I'm not even going to bother looking it up. Fuck it, I am going to look it up, actually. Doesn't matter, but, you know, fuck it. It was recorded in 1974. Oh, okay. It was released in 1975. Fine, 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 fine. So, um, do you want a little bit of backstory as to why I gave you this? Yes, I would, because, um, very quickly, immensely enjoyed this, but don't don't really know why. Right, okay. So, as you know, Renfrey, you know, and I'm about to tell you, dear listener at home. So, I went to um, South Carolina recently. Mm, Yeah. Um, and I met my girlfriend, who's in the other room. Aren't you, darling? <laughs> I'm not going to keep on doing this every week. but So I met her parents, um, and I hope they would listen to this. Hello, um, Johnson family, if you are listening. Hi. And and um, they obviously knew that I was, uh, well, we got chatting about music and, and whatnot, and um, uh, Emily's dad uh, is... A, like a really big music fan i think um uh, i went down and, and had a little flick through his record collection and he's got some things which maybe haven't the, the sort of things that i think would probably make it having been out to south carolina which is lovely by the way like if you ever get the chance it's lovely and i'm going with only next week no you're not um and <laughs> um and sitting out on a bay like on a dock on the dock of the bay look at yeah looking out over the, the you know the over the bayou or whatever it is my um, one problem with this album is the what the board the marsh the marsh yeah looking out over the marsh mm. having a nice having a cold beer in a sort of like really them. humid as the sun goes Ooh, down yeah on like a really and the, quiet and, 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 and on your cold beer the uh the the there's like condensation on the bit condensation. Oh, yes, yes, yes. and it was just like you can and it feels so humid and you can understand why something like the Ormond Brothers band uh, would be such a perfect thing to like it made me want to put on the Black Crows mm, do you know right. what I mean it made me want to listen to stuff like that and you can go like oh I can really it's a, not the first time why, where I understood why that sort of stuff translates but it's certainly like you know when you go to certain places and you go well I can absolutely understand why this music got big here yes do you know what i mean yes you can understand why that happened but anyway yes. so um we went down to uh the the sort of basement level and mr johnston had has got this amazing stereo system set up right mm. it's like really really like killer stereo sound system and he was like, oh, you know, have a little look through my records and stuff. So I did. And he's got some like, like this amazing vinyl collection. And he said, oh, you should, um, you know, let me play this. Let me play this and play me a few things. I was sort of listening like, yeah, obviously like big into the blues. Now, Renfrey, just very quickly, um, a big blues fan yourself? I wouldn't say I regularly listen to the blues, but then at the same time, considering the music, it's impossible to not like the blues. Almost every album that we cover (coughs) every week has some debt to the blues. So, so to a degree, you kind of 
can't not like the blues yeah. but in in terms of the actual genre itself i rarely put on i don't know a muddy wars record yeah. or a bb king record or anything i, like I that. used to listen to it a lot when i was my mum was really really big right. fan of the blues like okay. really big fan of the blues sister rosetta tharp and you mentioned muddy waters bb yep. king, she loved bb king yep. um and and actually some of the stuff that i like from like rattle and hum by you too you know is a, is a record that yep. like really made me you know give me a proper early appreciation of, um, of the blues yeah which when, is, uh, when seems uh, like a <laughs> Quite an odd thing to say. To town, yeah, yeah, that's catch that train. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. Um, but anyway, so we were listening to these records, and Mr. Johnson said to me, "You should listen to this guy, Roy Buchanan." He says, "A really, really interesting dude. I've never heard of him before. I right? never heard of him. Oh, you hadn't heard of him? Hadn't even heard of him before, right? So you know, raised eyebrows. Right. Oh, so you have? Presumably. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Um, and I was listening along and I was like, oh yeah, you know, it's a blues guitarist, cool. Mm -hmm. But then suddenly he started doing things that made me go, oh my God. Mm. (laughs) Like, oh my, when was it? And I was like, when when was this recorded? Mm. 1974. Oh my God. Mm. Are you serious? Are you referring to little metalisms that he throws in? Yeah. Mm. Tom Morello-isms. Yeah. Almost. No, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why I've heard of, Roy Buchanan because right, I've, okay. I've heard this rhetoric before but yeah. it's, it's absolutely true yeah. and and I was like I'm I'm became like I'm genuinely interested in this yeah. dude now yeah 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 and he showed me a guy. huge yeah. and I think part of this like I've you know I've, I've I've picked this live album because I was shown a um a, a YouTube video of uh Roy Buchanan doing Roy's Blues yes and great track it's you know it, it's something i think he he kind of as i'm aware legend has it there's a sort of pbs documentary um that really kind of opened him up that he had been this kind of like blues troubadour for a few years but he when he played live that was and people seeing him play live was when people were like oh my goodness mm. and you, definitely an energy on this record which watch, i haven't heard on this studio you watch i watched this video and i was like He's incredible and mm. he's like no one else. The way he plays the guitar, the stuff he was doing and he's got such a like lat, he's got such a straight face, like lax sort of slow hand but then it just launches into, like we say, Tom Morelloisms. Mm. Um, mm. And he was like playing with one hand and going over to the piano and taking a drink, barely looking at the audience, like just looked like a yeah, bad he's man. he's a cool motherfucker. Just looked like a bad man the whole time and I was like, this dude is amazing mm. so i definitely thought this is something worth bringing up and 100%. reading about his life and the sort of people that he's influenced and stuff i was like oh my god uh but it seems kind of bizarre that he's not spoken about in kind of general terms more yeah why is that i wonder um he was a massive, um, I mean, this I have nicked this from the Wikipedia page, but he's a massive influence on Jeff Beck. Yeah, and Jeff I, Beck and actually uh, dedicated a song on Blow by Blow. Isn't yes, and, and I wonder if I wonder if it's just one of those things where he was just a little bit too early and Jeff Beck came along. And I'm not, I'm not claiming that Jeff Beck ripped him off, although, I mean, to a degree, probably, yes, he did. But, um, you know, I, I just wonder if it's one of those things where Roy Buchanan was maybe... A little bit early was blues massively in in the 70s it's a hard one because obviously well, i don't know really it i mean obviously you had led you had zeppelin were at their 
largest sort of pomp, but their yeah. massive blues stuff really was earlier in their career, mm-hmm. around '69. Um, I don't know. I, I do. I definitely think like you Gary can. Moore. I mean, he's a Gary big Moore, influence yeah, on yeah, someone yeah. like Gary Moore. That's a good point. And Clapton was obviously. Yeah, Although Clapton was doing was was he doing uh, Domino stuff at this point? Seventy four. Yeah, well, that would have been just prior to this, yeah. And it's also Clapton stuff is a little bit. I mean, you actually mentioned Slowhand, um, not in reference to Clapton, but obviously that was Clapton's nickname. Yeah. Um, it's slightly different blues, kind of, but um, I don't know. I he's definitely one of those artists who deserves to be talked about in the same breadth as the Claptons and the Becks. And he so was, so forth. Um, there was something in guitar, guitar or a guitar weekly, mm-hmm. like a, a guitar guitarist or something like He was that. nominated as something like the, like the top 50 guitarist and he was 48th or something, I think. Right. And that's as someone who, like, I didn't even know what album I was meant to listen to. I mm. just wanted a live one because I was transfixed by this live thing. So I'm interested in what you, what do you think of the records? really like it 35 minutes it went by in an absolute flash yeah um this is going to sound like an odd thing to say and i think it's actually more to do with the fact that i have a whole heap of uh neil young um bootlegs from this era but yeah. and maybe it's just like the recording techniques but it really reminded me of all these sort of official crazy horse right, okay. bootlegs that i have um because for me neil young and crazy horse in the mid 70s is pretty unbeatable really Mm. especially live because they just went yeah it's the best versions of those songs nine times out of ten um i really really liked it there are some really there's some most of this live album is made up of blue standards actually i think there's only two original compositions on it um but they're all very very good versions of yeah. these blues standards funnily enough um the majority of my blues knowledge comes from um i very very briefly did music technology at a level oh did you and we um did a huge um uh, project on blues and that's where the majority of my blues knowledge comes from so mm. that's probably when i first said of roy buchanan i would imagine yeah um so i'd i'm was familiar I've never heard this record before, but I was familiar with, it felt like I was familiar with almost all of the songs on it because I'd heard different versions of them. Um, what was cool about hearing these versions is I was like, yeah, these are very, very, very good versions of these songs. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought it was I excellent. I mean, f- for the most part, like, I like, you know, I like this, but I think particularly Roy's Blues and I'm Evil. Yeah. The longer the ones, ones. When you get the kind of... The are those six- the originals? They yeah, are I the originals, so, yeah. they? When you get the kind of six minute long eight minute long versions where his guitar playing becomes you know he really gets to go wherever, yeah he gets to cut wherever he wants on to those. go yeah, yeah. like that to me is where you go like my god yes. this dude Agreed. was incredible yeah and um you know that after this he actually turned down the chance to join the rolling stones i did not know that so he turned down the chance to join the stones um, so this documentary came out. So basically, um, from what I can tell, is he had made a bunch of albums you know, from the kind of late sixties, and he'd been playing from kind of the late sixties up until this point, nineteen seventy four. This PBS show comes out. John Lennon sees it, and John Lennon goes, "This guy's really great." And lots of people then start going, "Oh, okay, all right, yeah." And Jeff Beck's like, "Oh, this guy's really great." And a lot of very prominent musicians at the time start giving their props to uh, Roy Buchanan. So the Stones approach him. But he had um, 
quite a notorious uh, alcohol problem. Right. And he didn't want to join a collective that would kind of... Uh, Exacerbate that. Yeah. Oh. So he turned down the stones because he right. didn't want to be put in that situation. And it kind of meant that he spent the rest of his career just being a kind of cult figure. Uh, and he's got... Could have know, saved his life, though. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. He died in 1988. He was arrested after being intoxicated and disorderly after a domestic dispute. And he was found hanged in his own prison cell by his own shirt. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Wow. So he was a sort of tortured and difficult artist. Apparently he was, um, you know, again, one of the reasons for not wanting to join the Stones is to kind of maintain his privacy to, you know, be kind of left alone, I think. And when you look at the people, like I just went through a bunch of stuff trying to, when he died, like looking at tributes to him, there's obviously there's Jeff Beck and the Rolling Stones, mm -hmm. Dave Gilmore, Jerry Garcia, Mick Ronson, Gary Moore. Yeah. Like the yeah. big, big yeah. dudes yeah. all came out and said how influential he was, how yeah. great he was, how amazing his tone was. Yeah. And yes, actually that's a great of, shout. His tone is unbelievable. Yeah. On these records. I mean that in 1974. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he kind of, you know, he's sort of not, I think he's known for being someone who helped to kind of define that Telecaster sound. Yeah. 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 Um, so just an interesting, like a, a kind of an untold interesting story um, from a, a bygone era. Feels like there should be a, there's a documentary in there. Doesn't yeah. There? Um, I don't know if there is one or not, if there is get in contact with us, but um yeah, it does feel like there's a documentary in there. Um, well, I think if you're a fan of the blues, I think this will appeal to a certain select group of people who listen to the show. If you are a fan, if you do have time for that kind of proper, proper, you know, early blues, but you want something, because it sounds contemporary, and there are many points in it where he makes it sound like, you know, I think Tom Morello is one of the best. I mean, I don't know if you want to chuck in any other kind of contemporary like sounds that you think because to me he, that whole that stuff that Tom Morello does that 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 that, that, that all that, that kind of hitting and picking and changing yeah. the tone like he does stuff like that yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. I've never heard I you know people were saying that was new in 1992 this is 1974 yeah yeah um I I mean to be to give Morello some credit I think he took that and oh and yeah pushed he Van Halen yeah, 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 yeah. Halen did and and um, <coughs> I think the work that Morello did with the whammy pedal as well is is a, a lot of that kind of thing, which isn't what Buchanan's doing. Yeah. But um, yeah, I can definitely see the Tom Morello thing. I, I do, I do see a very um, obviously Sabbath had released some records at this point, but I think I think if you like early Sabbath records, you can get a lot out of Roy Buchanan. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and things along those lines. Um, I don't, know. I don't do you think Neil Young is totally off no I don't I think certainly it, with Crazy Horse yeah I think there's a, a like a Neil Young is a lot of bleed outside yes there? yes there it is that's what it is and uh yeah and the, that's definitely yeah. on on here but it's um, cool so um, I, I think it's I, I really enjoyed it yeah I really I it's weird I don't I feel like I've not had an awful lot to say about it apart from it is a great Blues. It's just a really it's great, just a blues, great it's just blues, a, blues a really yeah. cool blues album. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. just a really like he's a very interesting dude. I know I did most of the talking that, but yeah. thank you very much, Mr. Johnston, for turning me on to Roy Buchanan. Um, 
appreciate that. Um, I'm going to bring him a Black Dahlia Murder album. <laughs> <laughs> like, what an exchange. Return. Yeah, it'd be nice. What an exchange. Um, Renfrew, let's move on to what you gave me. You gave me Clint Mansell. Uh, the Fountain original soundtrack. The original soundtrack to the 2006 Darren Aronofsky movie, The Fountain, starring Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz. Three storylines involving immortality and the resulting loves lost. Have you seen this film? I haven't seen this film. So this is what I was going to say, actually. I like Darren Aronofsky, hmm. but some people fucking love Darren Aronofsky, don't they? Oh, yeah. There he is. Um, I like Pi. Pi. I love Requiem for a Dream. Oh, yes. God, I love Requiem for a Dream. What? I love love The Wrestler. Yes. Great. Um, I like Mother. Mother's very good. Do you know what? I think it's very weird, but it's Literally picked up Mother on Blu-ray the other day, and I've still not seen it. But um, that's hard work. I've heard it's hard work. Uh, It was very alienated a lot of people. Well, I I talked about being shocked in the cinema with the Joker. Until, like, that's a different sort of shock, but Mother was it was one of the only times I've been in cinema people would leave I've never seen people leave during a film before but people were leaving during Mother it was yes. genuinely shocking yes, genuinely like, part. there were parts of it where I was like oh my god yeah, wow yeah yeah, yeah um yeah very very shocking um I've not seen uh I've not seen this I've never seen Black Swan oh um, mate Black Swan's incredible I tried watching Noah as well Nah, I think Noah is a very interesting film, Too if, long, but man. not Hard necessarily work. a good one. No, um, um, yes. So anyway, Darren Aronofsky, a a one of the you know I'd say along with kind of Christopher Nolan, yep, um, and one of the it? one of the great modern movie makers. Yes, I would say so. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes, where's Anderson? Uh, I've never been a Wes Anderson fan, but I'm not going to sit here and and say he's. Rubbish. I don't like everything he does. He's yeah. done some really bad films, Wes Anderson. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're not supposed to be talking about films particularly, nope. but we should be talking about Clint Mansell. So Clint Mansell, a longtime collaborator of Darren Aronofsky, used to be the lead singer in Pop Will Eat Itself. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonkers. How funny is that? I should say as well that that um, he Clint Mansell did uh, Clint Mansell's soundtrack work is is unbelievable. <coughs> It, it's it, it's so eclectic um the <laughs> do you know the the film he soundtracked before he soundtracked this doom oh the the uh, the, 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 the rock the rock yeah. uh in the video game adaption which uh, i've not seen but um uh, one of those films that i don't need to see to say that it's utter shit um um but you know he's very very diverse i mean he also did um, the soundtracks for requiem for a dream and pie as you previously mentioned very very different well i was gonna say more electronic based um he's a composer who is is responsible for i would say one of the most recognizable pieces of music of this millennium Mm -hmm. um which is lux uh the Mm -hmm. requiem for a dream score which Mm. has been used on everything from x factor to you know super sunday football anytime you want something dramatic ever um that is that's clint mansell that's clint mansell yeah i would go as far to say that clint mansell is the best um soundtrack uh film scorer composer ever bloody hell absolutely 100 percent um the Fountain is my favourite Darren Aronofsky film. 
Is it? Um, I don't think it's his best, but it's my favourite. Right. Um, and uh, you just fancy Rachel Vice, don't you? What's wrong with that? Well, she is a beautiful, beautiful lady. There you go. Hugh Jackman would probably get it as well. Um, and He's got a huge Ackman. <laughs> Another episode. <laughs> huge Ackman. Yeah. I love the fact that he played um, Curly in Oklahoma. Um, like years and years and years ago. Really? But he won a Tony for playing Curly in Oklahoma. Yeah. Did a fucking good job of it as well. I mean, I hate Oklahoma, but you know. Anyway. Um, Continue. Continue. And um, this is my favourite soundtrack of all time. I think is it's it? an absolute masterpiece. Right, okay. Um, there are very... the thing Soundtracks are a weird one, aren't they? Because obviously, um, we've reviewed a couple of soundtracks, uh, soundtrack albums on this show. Tom York um, Tom Clyro. York, hello. Um, Biffy some, Clyro. Biffy Clyro, yes, yes, yes. Sometimes it has felt like a bit of a waste of time, Tom York, and sometimes <laughs> less so. Biffy Clyro. Um, and it depends, you know, sometimes, sometimes scores are brilliant, but only kind of really work well or certainly work at their best with the images that they are meant to um, go alongside. Um, one example of that, I would say, people go on and on about how, what an amazing score it is. And I wouldn't disagree, but Johnny Greenwood's um, There Will Be Blood score. Yeah absolutely masterful piece of work but you know and i know there are people that have bought it on cd or mp3 or vinyl or whatever and do listen to it you know without the film but you, yeah without the film it really is just creaking strings and noises and and actually very difficult to listen to yeah i think the same would be said actually the tom york um Suspiria, um soundtrack that we reviewed last, last year, year um Within the context of the film, which I've still not seen, I imagine is amazing. But out of context of the film, it was just uncomfortable and difficult. Yeah, I think it's all... I mean, this was something that I was going to bring up on this because I assumed you were going to tell me how fucking brilliant this is. And I don't disagree, to be honest. Uh, I think it's it's good. But I do think... I wonder how more excited I would be listening to it or how much more I would get out of it if I had seen the film, I think that's difficult for me to say, cause I yes. saw the film before I listened to the soundtrack. Exactly. So I did sit there and I did think to myself, this sounds like the score to a film. And it certainly sounds like a score to a Darren Aronofsky film, probably a little bit like you say, that's not as, uh, this is more orchestral, uh, broadly, broadly, yep. um, a bit more subtle than some of the other things I've heard from, some of Darren Aronofsky's other films. So, well, yes, I I would say that this it, it's split into ten tracks, but for me, I view this as one long song. Yeah. Um, and post rock with cellos, isn't it? Well, it's funny you say that because yes, absolutely. <laughs> Do you know the contributors on this record? Mogwai. Hello, one of my favorite bands, Mogwai and the Cronus Quartet, who are one of the best string quartets in the world. Mm. Um, for my money and it's all oh there's also a massive fuck off choir who are absolutely brilliant as well um and the combination of all of those elements i think creates something truly unique and special but also quite like it's it's quite odd in places there are some really odd moments that really uh, unhinge you I, I, I they do sound a bit unhinged certainly um but the whole thing builds to this 
enormous climax um, at the end where it feels like every single element comes in and this choir rushes. In. I mean, I mean, it is one of the most awe inspiring um, pieces of music I've ever heard in my life. I think um, it certainly helps knowing what that soundtracks in the film. Yeah. Um, and it builds into this just absolutely incredible. I mean, especially with everything that's come before it, because I almost feel, I mean, this might even put people off a little bit, but I almost feel like everything that's come before that has just been like a 35 minute build to this incredible. And that build is great. Like, it's really awesome what's going on with that. But it is, it's very much a case of kind of like, you know, the more the more you put into it, the more you get out of it, I feel. Yeah. Um, but but for me, I feel like this is, as far as soundtracks go, I feel like this is quite cohesive without the... I mean, obviously, I suppose I can't Well, argue. put it this way. It made me go, I'm sure... I felt like without seeing the film, and I haven't seen the film, so it's hard for me to really know, yeah. it felt like there was definitely, like you say, the build is... is that's a really good way of putting it, I think, because mm. by the end I was like, oh, I can tell that we're reaching the end of the mm. film. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, point. yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And oh, yeah. I wonder what. And I did sort of think to myself, you know, this is really good. Like, it's really good. I don't know that I got enough out of it to be like, it made me want to watch the film, basically. Oh, but that's that's. That's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, and I think I think I recognise Tree of Life as well. That felt mm. really recognisable to me. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not possibly. sure where from, but I felt like I'd heard that. I'm sure that, well, bits of this soundtrack have definitely been used on, uh, we talked about this with Agnes Obel, you know, they've definitely been used to soundtrack various bits and pieces. Yeah, but uh, I think what I was sort of most impressed by was, like I say, the the kind of the, the post-rock with cellos, yeah. if you like. Yeah. Um, I think it was, it's cool that uh, that Clint Mansell has been able to kind of infiltrate, which I guess is what a lot of these these artists from, you know, someone like Darren Aronofsky has become a huge, huge, and Christopher Nolan have become huge filmmakers, basically kind of making art house cinema with big Hollywood budgets and they're surrounded. Something which is very rare in yeah. the, like that that sort of thing happened a lot in the 70s and 80s and yeah. uh less than the 80s but um <coughs> pre-star wars isn't it well yeah yeah i mean i'm 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 a big fan <coughs> of Excuse the me. original star wars trilogy but but yeah there is an argument to say that star wars came along and kind of ruined that style of um hollywood yeah make filmmaking um but yeah people like aronofsky and nolan as you say are kind of uh, uh, rev reviving, I don't know if reviving is the right word, but carrying that torch, I think. Yeah, for sure. And it means they surround themselves with people who can create uh, scores and visuals and cinematography and, you know, ideas that are total anathema to your mm. average sort of mainstream cinema goer or music fan mm -hmm. i mean the fact that as we said before that piece of music from requiem for a dream mm. and if you've seen requiem for a dream you know what that you know that scores as well you know what scene it is mm. it's not a nice scene. it is not a nice and, scene. and it's super it's you know it's chelsea versus man united it's like well it's a bit mm -hmm. not really what it's meant to be but it's crazy, that is isn't it? an yeah. amazing and again i think like 
this is an amazing Trojan horse of kind of musical ideas being that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that like, I can't speak for the film, but certainly for like, you know, just what a film score is meant to do. Mm. There's lots of very, very cool, interesting curveballs and, mm-hmm. you know, unique ideas that, um, that we're probably, that we're used to hearing. Mm. But I would yes, imagine yes. that somebody who doesn't really listen to music that much but might go oh i watched that as a film the fountain and i really liked it and i'm mm. gonna listen to the soundtrack and then suddenly they're listening to this kind of very progressively minded um sparse but swelling post-rock opera yeah it's really cool that yes absolutely very that's brilliantly described um yeah that is exactly what it is um and 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 i've not ever heard anything quite like it i mean if if we were calling this a post-rock album if we were calling if we were putting this in with the remfrey core albums um (laughs) this is one of the best (coughs) remfrey core albums ever released i think um in my opinion i I think it's absolutely like a really stunning piece of work um and i i absolutely adore it it's interesting the film was um very received in a very mixed way and i completely understand why people would watch the fountain and absolutely hate it and think it's a whole big pile of guff i think those people are completely wrong um but i but i understand why it um divides people but then having said that most of the best films do divide people and there's a lot there's a long storied history of films um not being received well on release and then later being reappraised as classics whether you go to 2001 blade runner if you go onto imdb right now and look at the reviews for um jordan peele's us Mm. which i thought was absolutely brilliant it's the best like sort of big budget film i've or or the kind of big release film i've seen for a long time Mm. and um i really like get out but i think it's better than get out Mm -hmm. and we went to watch it in cinema and people were laughing i just like they came out going what what was that about mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know because it's there were billboards everywhere and it was kind of marketed as a horror film i think people expected yeah. it to be this thing yeah. that they just didn't really understand and the reviews on imdb so many one out of ten what's this what's it yeah. all about it's rubbish it's not scary it's blah blah blah. it's all this it's crap like what and you just think well, you clearly haven't got a fucking clue what this is about yeah, yeah you yeah. haven't thought about it you haven't yeah. wondered about whatever you, you know what i mean so i mean if that was a tiny little art house film that hardly anyone got to see mm. and, the, and it was marketed solely to those people it would probably have an amazing score on imdb yeah but because it's going out to you know fucking plebs yeah um <laughs> yes <absolutely. laughs> no, well yes uh they're all like uh yeah yeah where's the monster no but i think i think those are th- those films which are sort of later reappraised um and people realize oh actually this is an absolute masterpiece I-, I have a very i think it's beginning the fountain is now 13 years old i think it's beginning to happen with the fountain <laughs> um, i think people are beginning to go back to it and go holy crap that film because it really slid under the radar at the yeah. time aronofsky was working on it for six years i mean it, it was at the time it was his magnum opus kind of thing and it came out and sort of i think it lost money and like yeah you know, yeah i remember it coming out and i remember people going, like, a disaster it's a bit yeah. like who's the guy what's the name of the guy richard who made donnie darko uh, that, richard linklater Rich- no no sorry 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 um 
Um, was it Richard? Anyway, but the guy he made Southland Tales, didn't he? Yes. And that is, I mean, I've never seen that, but I want to see the kind of nine hour long uh, director's cut of that. It's supposed to be absolutely just maddening. Yes. But I kind of quite like it. Like, he was the other one. It was kind of Aronofsky and Christopher Nolan and him. People were looking at in the kind of the the start of the millennium, like these are the new, these are this is the new Scorsese, Brian De Palma, and um, uh, Kubrick. These are the guys, and uh, not really happened for him, has it? No, uh, it's Richard Kelly. Richard not, Kelly, not linked later. Um, yes, no, he has re- released films since as well, and uh, and no, uh, just no. But uh, Donnie Darko is brilliant. Donnie Darko is brilliant. I yeah. watched Donnie Darko just the other day. It's fantastic. All film. around me are familiar faces, worn out species. Anyway, um, that one was more, one more quick fact because this is really, really good. Go on. David Bowie fact, isn't it? Uh, Clint Mansell wanted David Bowie um, on the. He was hoping that David Bowie would do a song for the score for the soundtrack because yeah. uh, Space Odyssey massively influenced the space traveler storyline of the film. Won't Spoiler. go into that. Not really. Well, no, but I'm fine. Say, I don't know. I've not seen it, ever, I don't know. Um, but um, but uh, uh, yes, and Aronofsky planned for Bowie to rework. Uh, pieces of the score and to vocalize them but the plan was unsuccessful i'm not entirely sure why but it didn't work mm. out but then he did moon really. didn't he with uh, but then he did moon with duncan jones who is um david bowie's son, david bowie's son. yeah another great soundtrack actually and yeah. another great film yeah um and uh, yeah i like that film great um film. and uh what was the other he looked, so he was nominated for a few things for this score as well he lost to philip glass did he i believe he lost to, to philip glass um for philip I'm not sure what uh, he actually lost out for in that. Uh, yeah, he's nominated for Golden Globe. Mind you, Philip Glass is good, isn't he? There's no disrespect. I mean, no, I'm not going to diss Philip Glass, but, you know, as I've made my feelings clear you have. on this. So. Are you saying the Golden Globe's got something wrong? <laughs> uh, Shock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, that was us chatting about The Fountain, the original soundtrack to The Fountain by Clint Mansell. Next week, Renfrey. Mm. Talking about metalcore. I'm going to give you oh, no. <laughs> Brand of Sacrifice. The album is called God Hand. Yeah. Enjoy that. Okay, thanks. Um, now, I need to check with you if you have... I need to check with you how familiar you are with the wonderfully underrated... Oh, giving that away. Um, British genreless turn-of-the-century band. Your code name is Milo. Pretty familiar. Ah, you know they came from the sun quite well then. Uh, which one's that? It's their last album. Oh no, I've not heard that. <gasps> they came from the sun. By your code name is Milo, please. Okay, cool. So um, this will be happening actually in two weeks. That's right. We'll be back next week. So when that does happen, I'll be doing your code name is Milo. Renfrey will be doing Brand of Sacrifice. Uh, go over to musicism.net to get all your courses. You get 25% off when you put the code right in the checkout in capital letters. Thanks to them. Next week, Renfrey, where are you going? You're going somewhere stupid, aren't you? Uh, um, I am going to Scandinavia. Um, to be a bit more specific. I'm going on tour with Frontera. Oh. So I am going to Helsinki playing the bongos i'm hoping to do a vocal <laughs> uh upsilla um i'm going to sweden denmark uh norway um i'm likely gonna have a fucking great time and i'm very much looking forward to it um i'm also gonna be very cold 
but yes, I'm doing that. And, and working out, trying to do the next show has proved very, very difficult. Um, uh, so basically, because I felt like that sentence wasn't ever going to end. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, somebody, somebody else is going to be on the show next week. Yeah, hopefully, if it works out, we were talking to this somebody else literally just before recording this episode, and and it will be excellent. It'll be excellent. It'll be very, very excellent. It's someone in a band. I'm actually really jealous. And they're in a very, very cool band. So next week, it'll be me probably talking about the new album from Ocean Wisdom and maybe the new Elbow album and maybe the new Jimmy Eat World album with said person who is in a band. Be good though, wouldn't it? If if it happens, it'll be excellent. Yeah. Great. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Cheers, mates. <laughs>